What's up everybody, this is Elliot Terrell and you're listening to Magical Thinking brought to you by ArtOfMagic.com. Our guest for this episode is Jason Ladani. He's a student of Darwin Ortiz, but he's forged ahead his own path in a similar vein. He does incredible magic, he's an expert technician, a phenomenal world touring musician, and a really interesting, fun guy. I had never met Jason, but I had been following him for many years, and it turns out we have a lot in common, so this episode's really special. Of course, we talk about magic, we talk about some of his influences and how he likes to construct his magic, but we also spend a lot of time talking about music, and blues in particular. Jason's a phenomenal musician. We discuss James Bond and Hannibal, the TV show that was on NBC that was canceled but is one of our favorite television shows. We talk about growing up in New York, food, scotch, tailored clothing. It's a really fun episode for me in particular because we do have so much in common. I want to thank all of you that emailed in. I really appreciate the feedback and the support and keep the emails coming, you guys. I really do appreciate it. If you haven't already, follow us on all the social media channels, Instagram.com slash Treasury of Wonder and A Sense of Mystery. Give us a like on Facebook at Facebook.com slash A Sense of Mystery and this podcast at Facebook.com slash Magical Thinking Podcast. If an episode really strikes you, please share it. I want more people to be able to experience what we're doing with Magical Thinking and I think that it really is something special. So if you guys enjoy something, please let other people know. There's nothing for me to plug other than some of the coupon codes that I've placed in the intro in previous episodes. Of course, we've got some great magic coming out and we're going to have a very busy October and November. As you guys know, November is when Dan and Dave's birthday is. It's also when Black Friday is. It's a huge event in the magic community and we are going to be doing very special things. Anyway, get into the episode, enjoy Jason Ladani's insights into magic and performing and creating a context and doing really good magic. You guys are going to like it. Take care. Let me know what you think. Enjoy. And all it takes is one person Mm -hmm. and then the whole thing blows up. I respect that. I look at business models like that and I, if if a company is doing that where they have, they're understaffed and there's a line out the door. I just, I'm always in awe of that. Even if it's a pizza place, just a place in Albany that's like that. And I look at that and I go, they, they're doing it. Yeah. Everything's good. The owner, I mean, yeah, the owner's in the back. He's, he's trying to keep the money down. He's working, grinding it out. And it's like, he's doing what he's, what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah. I always look at that and say, that's it. That's the model. Absolutely. To see, yeah, to see it working. It's always a nice thing to see. I agree. Um... If you could face towards the mic a little bit, just because last time I recorded, you Mike Pashada got turned around and, and the, the whole, whole thing, thing is just... uh, room, room reverb. But your other guy was uh, twenty feet away. Yeah, it sounded like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. You could hear when Blake leaned back in his chair. Yeah. We're on a, a shoestring budget for this podcast. <laughs> well, you're doing it right. You fooled me. It sounds great. Thank you. So yeah, you're in town for the Magic Castle. This is your first time performing, right? At the castle, not in the world. <laughs> yeah, yes. First time out, just trying to win. Yep. Uh, yeah, it is my first time at the castle. I, I've heard about this place uh, since I was a little kid. And I remember telling my mom, you know, when I was into the, uh, a wonderful woman to support everything that I was into. And I told her about this, you know, magical castle, this place out in the uh, West Coast that I want to perform at someday. And to her, she's like, you know... Oh, a magical castle that you're going to put. Sure, honey, sure. A little pat on the head and yep. she'd go back about her business. And I always um, 
looked up to this place. And that was, I remember being like 14, 15 years old or something, hearing about it for the first time. And it's a little bit surreal to, to walk out on that stage. And this is you know, kind of waited uh, two thirds of my life to be here. And here I am. Yeah, you made so it. That's the, it really does feel, uh, it's, it's a big thing for me. So I'm honored to be here. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. So you, so you're, you, you were born and raised in New York, yes? Yep. Okay, because you, you were talking before we started a little bit about your mom being from Pennsylvania. So you're a, like a born and raised East Coast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were a bit uh, nomads in the beginning there, right? We, I had a kind of a, my mother and father didn't really get along too well. Mm-hmm. So we moved around like all over mm-hmm. uh, New York. And uh, I mean, we lived in places uh, for a couple of months and then moved again and moved again. And then uh, my dad actually died uh, at a pretty early age. Uh, I was an early age when he passed away. So it was just me and my mom kind of bouncing around. And um, she ended up in Albany for some reason, just because, you know, an apartment for rent kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just kind of followed her around. And, you know, when you're that young, you don't know what that's just life. Yeah. You know? How so, old were you? Oh, I, I, from. Uh, I was five or six when we started the the journey, and I ended up in magic. Actually, started around then too because um, I think that was my mom's way of saying, you know, here's something to do and uh, to keep me busy, mm-hmm. so to distract from all of the stuff. And and being that young, I didn't know it was just oh cool, you know. And we ended up in Kiksaki, New York, which is really never heard of it. Yeah, all that all that's there is a maximum security prison and a library. And we lived in the library. <laughs> it is like Main Street is like 50 feet long. Uh-huh. There's a bicycle shop and a donut shop and, and that's it. And this library. And uh, you could live there for free if you maintain the library downstairs. Wow. Yeah. So just um, you know, she would help with, you know, books and keeping the place clean and stuff like that. And I had the world of, of knowledge at my fingertips downstairs, you know, and of wow. course, yeah, those big, long, we called them stacks. The, it was just as long as you could see of these books, except you see the movie, you know, sure. uh, like that opening scene in Ghostbusters that just, you know, the little, uh, all the little index the, cards and yeah, everything yeah. and all that stuff. And of course, uh, being seven years old, I used those stacks to roller skate, uh, <laughs> up and down. I, you know, the books didn't mean anything. Uh, but then I saw, um, they had some magic books there. And I still have some of those books. Wow. Yeah, that they're, it even has the Hearman's Memorial Library return. You know, the overdue fees on that are probably uh, up in the 30 grand already. <laughs> Nickel a day, right? So uh, I found a couple of those books. And uh, one of them was called, uh, like, the Mickey Mouse Magic Book or something. And it was just real basic stuff where you put the bottle in the freezer and you put the penny on top. And, you know, you hold the bottle and the heat makes the penny jump around mm-hmm. or some silly rope trick or a, a real basic card trick that was in there. And it's funny, my mind is just moving around the topic right now, but in my last book, I actually have a trick that was like the super, supercharged version of that Mickey Mouse uh, trick. So it just proves that your inspirations can come from anywhere. Yeah. But I had all of those books and I really got into it and I started to show my parent or uh, my mom things and my friends some magic tricks and at school and stuff. And it's that confidence builder, you know, gives you something cool, sets you apart from the other people. And then... Um, so I'd already kind of started it a little bit. And then the real game changer for me was David Copperfield. I, so we had a TV that had one channel. Yeah. And uh, I remember watching the, uh, when he walked through the wall, 
uh, the Great Wall of China. There, that that one. That's so funny that you mentioned that. I I just re-listened to Mike Pichotta's episode, which I released today, to edit it, and he was talking about he's a magician because David Copperfield and that special. Hands down, yeah, yeah. A big, and I'd already dabbled with you know just just having cool things that you could do for your friends. I had no idea what I was doing. I just mm-hmm. did this stuff in the book and knew it could fool people. <laughs> you put the two paper clips on the dollar bill and. You, when you, you know, the dollar bill's folded up and you, yeah, put, yeah. and you pull the bill open and the paper clips link and, you know, just cool little bar stunts almost, you know. But when I saw that episode, I, um, my, something like tweaked in my brain and I said, like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. So we found a, uh, my mom found a, a, a magic, local magic shop. It was called the Old Curiosity Shop. And um, a guy named Peter Montecup owned it and she said, you know, if it's like a rainy Saturday or something, we'll, we'll go, you know, and uh, it's kind of a little bit far for us. But if we've got nothing to do, we can go. And I remember specifically, she said, on a rainy Saturday. Mm-hmm. Are you an only child? I have an older brother. He's 11 years older. Okay. So kind of, yeah. Sure. Uh, he, yeah, he just, he was so much older. I mean, we, we are very, very close. But uh, when I was growing up, it really was just me because he was 18 at the time. And okay. when you're sure. 18, you're, you're taking off. Yeah. So... Um, rainy she, Saturday. She said rainy Saturday, and man, I tell you, I would wake up <laughs> Thursday and be like, "It's almost the weekend," and Friday, it's almost the weekend, and Saturday, and I'd, I'd lay in bed, and as soon as I had my eyes, I'd throw the comforter off and run to the window, and it was sunny out. I'm like, ah, <laughs> you know. So it's true. I, I I just waited for those rainy Saturdays, and uh, I remember a couple times it was, and she'd be like, "Oh, we can't. I have this to do today," and I was like devastated you know it's like christmas morning sure being a kid you know so uh, you know eventually that that saturday would come around and i used to go up there and go into that shop and as a kid as like a seven-year-old kid to see those bookcases like the magic castle that kind of stuff bookcases from the floor to the ceiling with just those cups and balls linking rings silks like all these colorful things and balls and vases and cigarettes that are halfway through quarter i mean just like sensory overload and there's a magician, I don't remember his name at the time, um, I want to say John, I, that's just a, a random guess, but he uh, took out a little silk, you know, and, and he's a grown adult, so, you know, I'm only like this big, and uh, he pulls this silk out, it's right in front of my face, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm literally inches away from the silk, and he just balls it up and puts it into his fist and opens up his hands and it's gone. And again, that little thing in my brain, just, I'm like, how is this possible? I'm right here. And those, those layman feelings, I love, you know, I can still put myself right back into that place where mm-hmm. I was when that happened. So when I do magic, I know what's happening to those, to those spectators. And that's a beautiful place. And as a magician, you rarely get there. Uh, you know, a couple times a year, I'll be in that spot where I'm just like, oh, this feels so good because I have no idea. And then the guy wants to tell me, I'm like, no, 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 don't. Let me, let me appreciate this this mm-hmm. this feeling um so again when he did that trick it was just a thumb tip but i i didn't know that stuff existed and he did that trick for me six times in a row and each time i was just i can't comprehend what's happening here yeah um so that that really uh, that's kind of solidified the magic side of things so it started right around six seven years old and i i haven't I've, i will never lose that that need yeah, to, to keep learning from that from that very moment there. You, you're making me remember something that I don't often think about. I was a little older; I think it was maybe 11 or 12. <clears throat> but I was on a a cruise ship style ferry 
from England to Ireland, and there was a magician on the boat d- doing walk around, and he did uh, crazy man's handcuffs mm-hmm. for me right in front of my face, and it, I, I, oh God, yeah, I remember that feeling. It was being totally It's right there in front of you, and it's and in art. This in every art form, there's this thing. When I listened to BB King in the late '60s, and he hits that one note, it just shoots, you know, chills through my entire body. No matter how many times I listen to that yeah. album, yeah, guy named Ronnie Earl. So I'm going to be throwing out a bunch of guitar names here, but there's a guy named Ronnie Earl that he can. He's playing blues with such passion. It's like everything bad that happened in his life is now coming out of this one note, and. I hear that note, and I think of all the bad things that happened in my life. And you, you're connecting. I'm, you know, I'm out on a run, and and this guy's in my headphones, and I'm like, preach it, Ronnie. You just, you hit that, and he keeps hitting that one note. Like, let me tell you my problems. Let me tell you what I've been through. And it's just a, a note. It's a, it's a, it's a, a piece of metal that he's, you know, hitting with a pick, and it, and it's has so much behind it. So in music, you can connect in that way. Um, and in magic, it's it that mind blowing thing has that same type of like it's a it's doing a different thing in your mind. Mm-hmm. And you and I discussed earlier too with food. If it's really good food, you you sit back and go, you know, that chef knows what he's doing. The magic side of things. So, in any art form that I venture into, into to photography or whatever, you should look at a picture and just have it pop. You know, that guy mm-hmm. Ansel Adams. You know, look at some of yep. that stuff and you just go, oh, I mean. All that it acts. just speaks to you. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like what um, Picasso said, you know, you capture the, the image but not the soul. Well, that's what we're trying to do is capture if the soul. If you're doing it right, yeah. If you're doing it right, it doesn't really matter what art form you're in. You can just make things, uh, you want to invoke that experience in someone else. And for me, that, that, that magic, seeing that guy do that trick was the first taste that I didn't know anything about food or music or anything, you know. And uh, once you have that experience in magic, you start looking for it in other places, you know. And it, and it just happens by accident, you know. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you you experience something new and go, "Ooh, I, I want to be around that again," you know. Yeah. So that's uh, kind of some of the thinking behind some of my magic is that it has to reach that level. Mm-hmm. In my magic, I don't find people's cards. I rarely just find, you know, it has to have these tears and allow people you know i want to get in there and make that thing happen and then again and then just you know blow it up even more so that's that high standard i set for myself to make sure that those people are are feeling and experiencing that mm-hmm. how do you do that with uh gambling style material because there are a lot of people that would argue that you know any any sort of gambling style trick isn't really magic it's more of a an exciting amazing thing but not necessarily like a, a magic effect how do you um it's a great question and this is one of those crazy answers that's gonna that we could probably do the whole rest of the the podcast here um it's about skill right mm-hmm. if you if if um this crazy analogy but you'd be impressed if michael jordan could throw a half court shot or a full court shot or something like that well imagine if he said all right i'm going to walk down to the end of the block mm-hmm. get on a bus and take it to the other side of town kick the ball and have it bounce 35 times down and go into the hoop you know mm-hmm. you'd be that's that stunning like and and if he's confident up front about it that's yeah. he's not winging it he's not going to try it. he's going to do it mm-hmm. there's a gunslinger video on youtube this guy from the 70s that could shoot 
two shots real quick. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's like the world's fastest. I feel like I may have seen it, yeah. Yeah, right? So the guy says, I'm going to shoot two shots into that bullseye over there. He's super arrogant, super con- Like, if you think my character on stage is confident, mm-hmm. this guy is like 10 mm-hmm. times what I do. And he's like, it's going to be the fastest thing you've ever going to see, and you're probably not going to believe it. As a matter of fact, I know you're not even going to believe it. And the, the interviewer is a little nervous, and he goes, okay. And the guy does this is you have to look this up he just his hand doesn't even move you just see smoke and you're going what just happened and he's claiming that it's two shots yeah and you say no way no way i don't that's just a bunch of bull he's whatever then they slow it down mm-hmm. and the guy his hands here he just instantly pulls this pulls the gun out like about a half inch past the holster fires two shots and puts it back in and comes back to this and when i first saw it i didn't believe it and then they showed the slow motion that thing happened in my head. Yeah. So that's pure skill. That's mm-hmm. a guy that did this his entire life and learned how to do that. Mm-hmm. So with the gambling material, and I'm 50-50. I'm not saying gambling material is the greatest thing ever. I'm not one of those guys that says, this is it. That's all you have to do. Yeah. I'm, I love magic and gambling, and I like to kind of... Move in and out of it. Even in the same trick. Yeah. I, I make people kind of question what's happening here. Um, so if you can set that bar high and say to yourself or say to the audience, I'm going to do something uh, that, that's a useful skill in a game, and I make it sound really complicated. You know, I'm just listing off all these things. And I, I want people out there thinking it's not. I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but I, I'd catch that if you tried something like that in a game. Now, that is the same formula as a magic trick. Mm-hmm. If you say, uh, I'm going to put this coin in your hand. And in a moment, uh, I'm going to make it change into something else in your hand. The audience member is going, well, no. It's, I can feel, you know, I can still feel the coin in my hand. I know it's a silver dollar. You can't change it into an English penny or something. And then they open the hand and it changes. That's magic. So you got them to admit, like, no, um, that's not possible. And in gambling, when I say, I'm going to take this deck that you shuffled, and I'm going to deal five hands out I'm going to give all the tens to this person all the jacks to this person queens, kings and give myself the aces good, keep shuffling keep, keep mixing as a matter of fact uh, why don't you shuffle faces in the backs too just so they're really mixed up I'll even look away while you do it and then take the deck back and deal the cards out that, that's a magic trick mm-hmm. you know, in their minds it yeah. really is a gambling routine I'm using gambling technique or whatever we're sure. not here to talk methods but um, that's my formula kind of figure out a way to turn a gambling routine into a that's not possible. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. And then do it. Okay. And I let them, if, if, because I do magic, I'm okay with them thinking to themselves, oh, maybe he did some magical thing, or if the other person wants to think that must have been skill, like centers or bottoms or some, you know, I didn't see anything or whatever. I let them have that problem because that's part of that mysterious bubble. Like when I watch the silk disappear, I'm yeah. sitting there go. What is happening? Did he put it there? Was it never there? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, the spectators trying to solve all this stuff, and I may have a million different ideas in my head, but that's that bubble of wonderment, you know, mm-hmm. that, that we strive for. So if the audience is having that issue, is it gambling? Was it technical stuff, skill stuff, or was it magical? Did this guy sell his soul? Here's a good example of that: Rene Levant. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we talk about those game-changing moments in your life. Yeah. When I saw Renee Levand on that World's Greatest Magic special, I was much older, 12, 13, 14, something like that. I'm trying to think of the place I was living. Maybe 14, 15 years old. And I knew enough about cards at that point that I, I knew magic, you know, and I knew little 
things and, and odds and ends. And when I saw Rene Levant do that, I questioned everything. I said, here's some guy mm-hmm. from some other place yeah. that may possess magical powers because he didn't do anything that, like... And at 15, you're like, oh, I, I know magic. You know, I, I yeah, yeah. all the moves. I, I, that's like a, a, a asking... Maybe, maybe Santa is real, you know? Maybe <laughs> yeah. he is because... Uh, you know, that's just too convincing. I saw no moves. I saw, and I watched that frame by frame. Yeah. As a kid, I just hit that little frame button, and I saw nothing the whole time. And um, so that's me grappling with: Is this magic, or is this a slate, or what? What the hell is this? I, I really, I, I feel kind of silly for admitting that, but I, I did question whether or not Rene Levant was like a, a, a real wizard. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think anybody would blame you. Yeah. What at fifteen? You know, I, you know, I felt a little like. Jeez. I'm sure there are grown men that still question if he was a wizard or not. Well, that's just an amazing thing. But it, that reminds me of something else. And again, with these answers are all over the place. But that's fine. We're why? Why? Another reason why I am into magic, and I think that uh, my parents are to blame for this. Uh, and a very similar approach that I take to my card magic with convincers. Uh, I, I I put in as many. 10, 15 tiniest little convincers for people that I call no attention to. I just leave these little things out there and make them make those connections. These are little subtleties. Yes, yes. Much, much stronger than, than saying them out front, you know, uh, mm-hmm. real hidden things and uh, that, they, that they're directed to, to notice in, uh, you know, just convincers. But when I was young, uh, Santa Claus was so real. I mean, at night we left the cookies and the milk and the carrots out for the reindeer and everything mm-hmm. and Santa's cookies in the milk and when I got up in the morning you better believe that there was mud on the carpet <laughs> there was ash from the fire st- there was ashes that were knocked and kicked out like the kindling that had been burned was out into the living room uh-huh. floor the carrot it wasn't even human bite marks it was like nubbed down you know it was not you could sense that a human didn't do this yeah the milk was always half gone not all the way gone yeah and the cookies had a big bite missing out of them and I just knew, you know, I just knew this was real. And that's when I was seven and eight. That's hardcore. Nine. Oh, they, oh, they went all the way. <laughs> I love that. They went all the way. And I used to pray for this little book, uh, the, the story before, the night. The night before Christmas. Before Christmas. That little, it was like a, what is the little kid's book? Golden. Yeah, yeah, golden yeah. Books yeah. Or it's got the gold spine. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I was a kid, those were, the, you know, real. You know, today everything's so cheap and whatever. The, this one is like, you know, the original one that was my father's and his father's, whatever. So it was this little square book like this, and mm-hmm. I used to have to sit down, and I would, in my mind, wish for things that I wanted for Christmas and apologize for all the bad things I did all year. <laughs> that, that, uh, that ritual that we would do every Christmas, and if I apologized for all of the bad things I did and <laughs> promised to be a better kid the next year, this book would magically appear, you know? And... Uh, so I would lean at the at the bed and, and I was I remember some of these I was supposed to be saying like I'm sorry that I broke the vase and I'm sorry that I tracked them through the house but I was really thinking like I want a Hot Wheels set I want a remote control car and I'm sorry about that that hole I put in the wall when I I, I knocked over my dresser uh, when <laughs> I used to clean my room and talk about a magician kid there was like my room was like an L shape uh-huh. and all I did one time was took everything in my room and put it like in the 
corner, like stacked to the wall, all the dirty clothes and everything, so that when you opened the door, it looked clean. But yeah. if you leaned in like six inches, you could see around the thing. So like a perspective magic trick, you know? Yeah. And uh, things like that. So my mom would find it. Uh, one time I, she told me to do the dishes and I just put them in all the drawers. I took them out of the sink and stuffed them in. All, so she'd come home and, and she'd be like, oh, thank you for cleaning. Like no problem. I love that that takes as much effort as just doing the dishes. <laughs> yeah, but I had like, she was coming up the stairs and I was like, oh no, she told me to do the dishes. So I just, it was like eight dishes and I put two under the sink, one in this thing over here, two in the cupboard over here. And I took the glasses and ran them into the room. And by the time she opened the door, the kitchen was clean. And I forgot about some of them. So like a couple hours later, she's like, Jason, why is there a d- dirty pot in this cupboard? You know? So, um, all of those, uh, that, that's like that magic kid thing. I could sense myself starting to get there. But anyway, back mm-hmm. to the story about praying for all of these things that I, I uh, wanted and all the trying to fix everything that I did wrong. They would hide the book somewhere you know, yeah. while my eyes were closed. But I didn't know that. So when I opened my eyes, like I'd have to find where it floated in, you know. And oh, I, I would always find it somewhere. They'd be like looking for it too. You know, that's the convincer. And they go, you know, I'd look over here and go, oh my God, I found it. And, uh, you know, those things all added up. I think that's a huge reason. And my brother even had a little convincer one time. He was like, um, I, I didn't see where it ended up, but I remember I saw something shoot past the window. And I was like, oh, man, it's got to be over here. You know, so I'd run down there, and sure enough, there it was. And just the last point on this, the one year it didn't show up, I was really heartbroken. Yeah. I, tore, I was in tears, and we tore the whole house apart, and I just couldn't find it. And I... I I remember saying, I just can't believe it didn't come this year. Maybe I, it was really bad this year, you know. And um, I got in bed, and when I put my head back on the pillow, they put it in the pillowcase. Oh, yeah. And I, it was just the greatest thing ever. So talk about magician parents. Wow. Yeah, that, that molded, that, that Santa thing, I think, really molded me. Up. Have you talked about this with them and how like powerful um, that was? Yeah, yeah, I have. And uh, they have helped, you know, there's a, there's a, a big thing. First of all, my mom for supporting me, and you know, instead of saying no, you're going to get a real job, yeah, she just continue anything you want to do, you know. Um, that was a big thing. Fooling my brother for the first time, mm. you know, it took mm. me until I was uh, 18 or 19, yeah. And I don't want to give too much away about my my next book, uh, but he's in the intro. The introduction is going to touch on this, yeah. But he um, would always call me out. Yeah. You know, I'd finish some trick, and he'd say, "Well, let me see the bottom of the deck," and I go. Oh. And that happened for years. That yeah. happened for like eight years. And, yeah. and even when I started getting like gaffy stuff, you know, like he couldn't know about this, he'd say, well, you know, how do you explain this? And I'd be like, ah. So he, um, I was uh, maybe 17 or 18 or something, and I showed him a trick, one of Darwin Ortiz's uh, tricks, and it was all slights. And I got to the end of it, and there was just this really awkward silence. And I was <laughs> like, I think I did it. And that that powerful moment when I finally like, you know, my you know, the end boss in a video game, you know, I, I got my brother, you know. So yeah, that, that drive uh-huh. of constantly trying to refine and fix and test it out on him. He was like the ultimate. You know, mm-hmm. I could fool my mom with that. And my mom, I mean, I could botch the trick and she'd be like, that's great, honey. You know, you, you did great. <laughs> but my brother was my, my biggest critic and hardest to fool. So to fool him was big. So that, yes, my parents and my family, um, not so much my dad, he was never really even in the picture, but, um, the, those two, my mother and my brother, really mm-hmm. helped me uh, work harder and harder and harder and harder. And they still do. 
which I still do. Yeah, everything I do, they they really support. That's great. That's really cool. I <clears throat> I have fond memories of fooling my grandmother because she she was always very supportive and very excited about you know me practicing magic, but she also was kind of eagle-eyed and, and wasn't going to let me have it you know oh yeah they're the hardest and so you know i'd do card and box or something and that they i'd open the box and show and she'd flip it and it's just one of those great feelings it's so satisfying to fool somebody that really oh yeah wants you to succeed and wants you to fool them but isn't going to just let you have it and the longer that you perform for the same person they, they start seeing patterns mm. so it just keeps getting harder and harder and harder oh absolutely um, so fortunately uh my beautiful girlfriend now doesn't still doesn't recognize a double lift, so we're in good shape there. Oh, great! Um, do you do things for her often? Lauren is different. Lauren is the the most beautiful woman in her life. I'm just saying that, um, <laughs> so she can hear this and feel good. She really is, though. I, she means the world to me. But we, um, she is different. She uh, that eagle-eyed hawk thing. Imagine that like times a million. Mm-hmm. She is. The one of the hardest people I've ever had to perform for, and will ask questions when I'm done, that are like right there. Yeah, you know, and I and yeah. I and since you're close and personal, like I can't lie my way out of it, you know. Yeah. With a layman, you let them touch around it, and and you can just, uh, you know, you, you sense them getting close, and they ask a really good question. Then a second later, they ask something completely out of whack. So I I'll I'll tackle that one if they, uh, you know, I'll I'll let I'll steer them in the wrong direction. Yeah. But with Lauren, I'm telling you, she is just a fast she's so smart mm-hmm. she's so smart and it, it's really uh, difficult uh, with some things however conceptual kind of tricks you know mm-hmm. the principal tricks Gilbert things that stuff she hates because she can't figure it out she yeah. can't uh, figure things out like that so um, she just wants to know everything and how the world works and all this other stuff uh-huh. so magic in her is, is really difficult so I don't uh, after the first couple months of trying to show her a couple card tricks here and there, we just decided maybe you and I shouldn't <laughs> yeah. do this. And uh, so we work. Yeah, she's on like a one-year suspension now um, for for going through my pockets after a card trick. Oh, that's funny. And um, so, but we get along. It's fine. Now no, I really course. enjoy when she's there and I perform for someone else. That's mm. when she likes to see. Here's another thing we talk about character. Mm-hmm. I'm huge on character. That's one of my big things with magic. It's not me. It's a totally different person. Sure. And when you're with Lauren or with any of your close friends, they can sense this isn't the same. You go into performance mode. Yeah, they they don't like that. So mm-hmm. when I have all the little ad libs or that trick that you saw last night, um, the spectators losing over and over and over again, and I, and I get to I get to say, um, oh, you know what. I, I just I've never seen this before this uh, you're just having a really unfortunate night let me try to help and in that this is going to be vague for the people listening it's just uh, I don't want to tip too much about the trick but sure I um, since they're losing I, I try to help over and I, I get that there's sincerity in, in helping of course say, let's, yeah. let, obviously you're having a little bit of a problem let's try this to fix the problem and that that tone right there that I had there she mm-hmm. can that Lauren cannot stand that tone because she yep. knows I'm not Real, it's you know? not and, true. I, and I'm noticing for the first time. It's like, oh, you want to switch packets? Let's switch packets. Here, you can have mine. And and she's like, I don't want to switch back. Yeah. yeah. So she'll sense that that's all part of the, yeah. the routine, and yeah, that yeah. the the she can pick up on the the, the fake sincerity. It sounds like she's an empath. Uh, she she knows everything. She she can read me inside and out, which is yeah. really good. But um, a layman. Uh, uh, falls for that sincerity 
when I say, oh, you know, I think something's right here. Why don't you take mine? They go, thank you. You know, and they'll, they'll fall for it every time. And, yeah. and uh, with her, she, she, she'll just read right through it. So she's not, I don't even get anything out of practicing with her. It's such mm-hmm. a, it's this, it's just a, a tug of war the whole time. Yeah. So um, I don't, uh, and plus I don't want to be that guy that shows my girlfriend card tricks like, you know, 24 hours a day. Yeah. So, um, but that's, it's, it's its own thing with her. Yeah. Do you ever get a little tipsy and you can't not show her magic tricks? Because that's what happens to me. <laughs> no, no, I, um, the only time that I will need her for something is timing. Okay, so I'm putting a new routine together or mm-hmm. something. And I get like a rough script together. Mm-hmm. But you know this, if you create magic, you have, you know, the reality and then there's kind of the script that goes along with it. So you're doing like 30 things at once. You're trying to remember the sequence of what happens. The convincers, the jokes, the 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 not a real script, but the the beginnings of, of you know what to kind of say. Yeah. And when I rehearse uh, in front of a mirror, I I tend to give myself little breathers and breaks uh, where I'm thinking of like oh let me put this in, but let me kind of think about what it is I'm doing. So I'll pause a little bit and, and kind of get my bearings. Mm-hmm. But when you're in front of another human being, you don't get to do that. Something happens to your script where you realize all of a sudden that you have to make what you're saying actually make sense. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to get information out of my mind into you. And when you're in front of the mirror, you just say the, you say the line. Yeah. And, and it's just a wall. So nothing, you're not going to get any feedback. You're not going to get a dull look in someone's eyes like they didn't get it. So you, you, all of a sudden, it's like someone pulls this cover off and you can see what your script really is. So in those things, I will give Lauren a disclaimer up front and say, Lauren, I would like you to be the warm body that sits in front of me, <laughs> that just sit there so I can have this person in front of me. And that'll help me kind of in a safe environment, kind of yeah. get through a, 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 the first couple times. And that's great because I can learn, I can say, oh, well, that didn't play or this with that joke was way like why do I have like four jokes there or mm-hmm. the, the premise is like veered off into some complete you know other place I don't even know what that was just for a joke or something yeah so I'll use her in that way um, because I don't like showing uh, you know it's only a handful of magicians that I would maybe show some unfinished work to so I need mm-hmm. some way to kind of break things in sure. know, before I go, go out there and show it to real people yeah I I have decided and this is based a lot on Dave um, he he has shown his wife maybe four tricks the whole time they've ever been together mm-hmm. and she loves magic and I think that is really profound and so like <clears throat> I don't want to show the person that I'm with a bunch of magic tricks because I want them to enjoy magic <laughs> Yeah, I don't think, um, like I said, what, what I'm doing with Lauren's fine. She knows I do it, and every now and then I may need a favor. And when I'm out, like with her friends or family or something like that, mm-hmm. I have no problem to, sure. doing card tricks in that way. So she'll still see it, but she'll never be kind of on the other, the receiving yeah, yeah. end of, of seeing things. Yeah. But I wouldn't bother her. She's got so much work to do with school and everything. I, I feel bad about saying, hey, does this look okay? I, I'll never be that guy. Yeah. But I may, um, I just recently came up with this big, big closer. Um that I'm super proud of. It's got to be one of the best things I've ever come up with. And um, it's it's like walking a tightrope. Uh-huh. It is just like eight minutes of technical stuff, uh, you know, and it's it's really a lot going on. And uh, that I, I just showed her just to see if I could kind of get through it yeah. um, from one piece so that it doesn't, what I said earlier, I don't want it to sound like a rehearsed 
thing. I want to see if I can communicate to someone clearly while I'm busy doing like 8,000 moves. Yeah. And um, so that's the only thing I would ever use her for, just like a dry run kind of mm. thing like that, because she just can't stand the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, she's like, what did she say? You're, uh, you're so slick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I hate that. You're so, like, fake, and mm -hmm. um, you're condescending, and you're this and that. And when I perform for other people, they love that. They love that thing. You, I, Iron Man is not my favorite movie, but Tony Stark's character, mm -hmm. that, that when he's in the last one there, when he's talking to the little kid, yeah. and he's talking down to him, like, I hear you talking, but I don't see my tuna sub or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That, those types of jagged lines, the audience loves that, that bravado stuff. yeah yeah yeah. yes exactly yeah so you're not attacking anyone but there's just a there's just this james bond's kind of confidence that she just cannot stand because <laughs> she knows i'm gonna no matter how many things i give her to help her out mm -hmm. she knows i'm still i'm always gonna win yeah and she doesn't like that that on that unevenness in the scale so that's why i don't even bother sure. showing her that stuff sure how did you get into doing eight thousand moves while well, trying, I mean, like, how did you not, get into I that? I kind of said that the wrong way. I don't. I'm not a big move guy at all. I, I don't. I, I'm not like a pass. I know like two passes. I have like 200 and some odd tricks I do, and I use a pass like twice. Mm -hmm. And one of those tricks is I'm not even doing anymore. Yeah. So I'm not heavy on slights. I use uh, like I have a a bank mm -hmm. of slights, and um, it's really in the particular trick I'm talking about. It's not really even moves. It's just getting these cards to this position in a justified way yeah. and then justifying this particular count hiding a small move yeah, so, yeah. so they're not heavy heavy moves it's more about a ballet of the hands sure everything has to look like a, it, it, so in this one particular trick I, I accidentally I'm using air quotes for your podcast I, <laughs> I accidentally leave a, a uh, card out on the table not really accident I'm showing them a, a, a signature on the card and I just don't put it back with the other ones you know I just leave it out there so that like 10 seconds later when I have to reach for that card I have justification to turn the palm down to hide to something do, yeah. yeah so so that is what I mean by 8,000 moves that's just no of course and that's what I, I didn't mean you know you know all yeah, of well, this some people think, yeah, some people think yeah some people think that yeah. I, I don't know how what the general idea of my work is out there but well I just know you mentioned to me last night that you get obsessed with things and you know you, oh it's gotta you be have, perfect yeah. yeah you have beautiful seconds and centers and bottoms and all that stuff that's more what I was asking mm -hmm. is like how did you get into Oh, really, right, really right. hammering down. Yeah. So, in the, to, to finish that last point on the last question, it, sure. the, when I am going through one of those heavy, heavy tricks, it's really about keeping everything justified, motivated, make sure I don't have any clutter. That's what mm. it comes down to. If you watch a magician that's just starting out, they put the deck down, pick it back up, put it back down again to then move something over here to pick the, you know. The audience picks up on There's that. No I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just winging it kind of spot. Mm -hmm. I want to avoid that at all costs. So my moves, air quotes again, my <laughs> um, my idea of uh, a difficult trick is making sure everything looks just pure and, and, and economy of motion. That's a big one there. Everything has to have that economy of motion. So that's the difficult part when I do my routines, not pat the technical stuff like that. Sure. Now back to the, the, the what I misunderstood, the seconds and all that bottoms and Greeks and stuff um, that comes from so as any kid I got into magic and sponge balls and linking rings and all that stuff and then when I was uh, like 15 or so I think I found uh, I ordered some Martin Nash videos or something just because to feed that addiction when you start getting into magic you kind of want new stuff yeah so I just took a, a wild stab in the dark and I figured oh cool card tricks you know I, I could use some more card tricks so I ordered Martin Nash stuff 
And I saw him dealing those seconds and my mind was just like, how is that possible? I mean, the deck is square and he's getting access to other cards. It didn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, uh, and his center deals and everything just looks so good. And I remember trying it and, and seeing like, well, he makes it look so easy, but when I do it, I'm holding these cards and I'll jag it and I pull one out and 10 more cards come out. And I was like, you know, why can't I do this? So that, that thing that's broken in my brain that makes me want to be the best at everything that I touch, I don't know what that is. That's some yeah. sort of thing that I have, you know, if, if I play golf, I'm not satisfied until I'm, you know, playing with the golf pro. If I'm playing music, I'm not satisfied until I'm touring and I'm, you know, cards, I'm not satisfied until it's, it's the best it can possibly be. Mm-hmm. So with that, I gave myself a new challenge and said, I'm not stopping until it looks like that. Then probably the biggest thing that happened to me in my whole magical career was to order Darwin Ortiz's DVDs after that. Mm-hmm. So Martin Nash put it in my head that it's okay to do card tricks and have them be entertaining. You can do like a whole show of card tricks and I yeah. never even thought of that. Mm-hmm. But then I, uh, like a month or two after I ordered these Darwin Ortiz DVDs and I I, I just couldn't imagine. This guy was so entertaining. He. We, and the technique, um, you know, he had these card tricks that had these plots. You know, it wasn't just find my card. It was like these things happening that, that were like amazing. He could make a deck of cards do anything. And then I saw his technical stuff and I was, uh, I just couldn't believe that he was, it was one of those things where I just couldn't, you're, you're telling me you're doing that, but I don't believe you. Like the gunslinger that pulled the gun out and shot it twice. And then I ordered, uh, once I got the DVD set, then I got that cheating at cards one that he put out, mm-hmm. where he just demonstrates card cheating moves for like an hour. Yeah. And that sealed the deal for me. That was it. I, he shuffled, he did like an overhand false shuffle, and I said, yeah, but you, that's an overhand shuffle. You can't cheat that. And then they're still in order. Yeah. His strip outs and everything don't look like strip outs. Mm-hmm. Everyone else, you put the cards together, and then you see that Venetian blind, you just see the strip. Mm-hmm. With his uh, DVD set, I'm looking at it, and after he strips, it just looks like a legitimate cut. Like, the, the cards stay in a block shape, and they look like cuts. And I turned the box over, the DVD over, and there was a phone number on the back, and I thought it was, like, the production company or something. So I just wanted to call them and say, like, I don't know where you found this guy, but this is by far the best thing I've ever seen. And Darwin answers the phone. This <laughs> is his personal number, and I'm like, hello? And he's like, yeah, hello. <laughs> and I'm like, you're the guy on the thing? And he's like, yeah. And we talked for like three hours right then because I, I said that this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen in my life. Like you, your technique is just on a whole nother level. You're not like magicians hide things or move or turn or have a bad body language and they, they come up with very creative ways to hide bad technique sometimes, you know. Yeah. His stuff's just just stare right at it. If You know, just look right at it and there's nothing to see. Uh-huh. He, like here's this switch and, and I'm going to do it nice and slow. And that's what was appealing for him is that there was no fast things to hide. It was all the technique was just right out there, right in front. You could stare right at it and not see anything. And I said, that's what I'm going to do. I don't want to have to turn to my side or give the spectator a bunch of stuff to do or, or that line magician say, it's not the best looking, but it fools most people. You know? Yeah, yeah. It flies. And, yeah, 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 exactly. And when I saw him do those moves and you could just burn them and not see anything, that's when I said, that's the approach I want. Mm-hmm stare right at it and you still can't see anything and that was the that was the beginning of the card thing and after that i the the linking rings sponge balls silks production boxes handcuffs all that stuff dice went into a box and it it's, has not been opened since 
Yeah. So that's when I made the decision just to do cards. And uh, I'm very happy to do it. Great. Yeah. How did you, what was, tell me about your musical career and, and all of that. How did that get started? Was that sort of the same a kind of thing same as thing. magic? Yeah. Um, so when I was, same thing, my mom gave me a lot of things to do. And looking back, I, I now know why. Mm-hmm. But um, so I was seven years old and we moved into that uh, library. And we only lived there for a little while, months again. And then we moved to a tr- uh, like a retreat. Uh, these churches have these things for women from abusive relationships or whatever. Yeah. Uh, get to stay there for free. And, uh, and again, it's, at the time, I had no idea. We were just moving into a church. Yeah. So um, we moved there, and they had a piano down in the, in the uh, chapel there. And I used to sit down and just pretend I knew what I was doing. So it probably sounded like some felonious uh, stuff. Like, I, I knew the approach, and if I kept the chords kind of this close together, it sounded kind of cool, you know? Yeah. And I just played that for hours, you know? And, and uh, so my mom, and this hopefully this doesn't bring me to tears. Every time I have to tell this story, it, it's, it's pretty uh, dramatic here. My mom was making like 135 bucks, like every other week or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was like a home health aide, taking care of people, older people that got out of hospital or things like that. Mm-hmm. $135 every other week, and she was able to spend 35 of that to take me to piano lessons. Wow. I mean, that so, and I remember going to the store and we had to pick like this brand of this food, not this brand. You know, we're talking cents. Yeah. And uh, all that added up. And uh, to, to give me uh, like that much of her paycheck just to bring me to piano lessons. And it, piano lessons were on the other side of town. It was like 40 minutes away from one of the best teachers in the area. And uh, she could only afford every other week. And uh, that is just a pretty powerful thing for her to be doing. Yeah. Um, and that sacrifice yeah, is amazing. Yeah, yeah. So the same thing when I met my piano teacher, he would play things and I would that what we talked about right in the beginning where your mind just blows up and you go why it blues you know why does that sound so good like you're playing and I can just feel that that deep shuffle or that deep feel uh-huh. and um, I want to be able to do that just like what I saw with Darwin and uh, now that this is before Darwin so I think that my experience with learning from a teacher helped me when I got to Darwin sure I understood the process a little bit better and then Darwin refined it even more but the, the, the learning process uh, with practice and understanding all that and dexterity I mean I hate to say this to some of my students I have a lot of Skype students now and I'll talk about the pinky cat and stuff I learned that stuff in weeks like uh-huh. a bottom deal took yep. me six months yep. you know and Darwin even said like this is going to take a year like look for a couple years prior to this all the independence and doing different things with each hand and doing things with each finger on mm-hmm. each hand has incredible um uh, advantage when you pick up a deck of cards because you basically read the sentence in the book and then do it. Yeah. You know, you don't have to fight it too much. Yeah. And other people can't really move their fingers around and they yeah. have to fight a move uh, or they never even get it mm-hmm. because how can you possibly develop the the um, dexterity to do things if you don't have the exercises prior? If you're just doing the finished move, you're not really yeah. u- utilizing everything. I was very lucky that I played the French horn, which mm-hmm. is a left-handed fingering instrument, mm-hmm. and so I was able to pick up the pinky count. And That's what bass. I mean. Yeah, so, so um, and for me, literally, it took two weeks. I grabbed a handful of cards, and I walked around the house for two weeks straight, and I just did this until I got it. Yeah. So uh, with the piano stuff, um, I... Got the uh, started taking lessons and right away developed a real strong feel for blues and, and I loved it and of course the teacher kept giving me like classical and jazz and I kept being the, the rebel and saying let's you know let's tear up a shuffle for a little while so and then in school the same thing you, you show up and you're the only one in school that can play the piano so you get that attention 
thing and the mm-hmm. confidence builder right there. Um, so before you know it, I mean, I was seven years old when I started, and when I was 13 was my first paid gig. Wow. Yeah, so just local bands. And they were all, I was 13, and they were all in their 40s. Marinda mm-hmm. uh, James, I think her name was, like an aspiring country star. I played with her for a little while. And then just kind of moved up the, the food chain. Went to a couple open mic nights, and, um, you know, here's like a 14-year-old kid in a bar. Yeah. And I got up there, and I just did my thing. Mm-hmm. I just might, like, this is what I do at home, you know, I'll play along. And the place was like packed all the way to the back because there's a 14 year old kid, you know, blowing the piano up back there. And like two weeks later, they fired one of the guys in the band and said, "You're the you're the new kid. Can you handle it?" And I'm like, "I guess. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I play music and make money. How cool is that?" Yeah. So I was juggling school, and I'd be in class thinking like. I'm going to be in Chicago tomorrow. <laughs> and this guy's talking to me about economics. Like, I, this is not cool. Like, I don't care what you're saying. And yeah. I'm looking around the class going, no one else is going to be in Chicago. But me, I'm going to go to Chicago. Are you going to Chicago? No. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like pretty cool. So, you know, we finished school. The band would be in the parking lot waiting for me. Get in, drive all the way to Chicago, play for the whole weekend, come back, and then do Boston. And I had to juggle my school schedule. So mm-hmm. you can only imagine that there were some mornings that I didn't even... I came home from a gig at four in the morning and stayed up for two hours and went to school the next day. Yeah. So the whole school thing, I mean, I graduated and everything, but I I just didn't connect with any of it. I was talking to my teachers to do different projects from other students. You know, they'd write a paper on whatever, and I'd write a paper about my experience out on the road or something. So I worked with my teachers, and they were supportive. The one that's funny, though, is my English teacher. We butt heads so bad. Yeah. And we just, she was just really rude and nasty, and I didn't like that at all. And I just hated her, and she hated me, and that was it. And then 20 years later, I'm an author. I wrote a book, and it's all like you know, correctly written and uh, all this stuff. And so it's it's funny how life works. I never would have yeah. thought that I would have written a book in my life after how much I couldn't stand my English teacher. That's pretty funny. So um, so right at so I kept playing all through high school, and I had this this band, and then. Um, I was doing like a one-off gig down in the city, and this proves uh, something in life that you, you learn over and over again. It's all about being in the right place at the right time. Oh, I mean, yeah. That's the opportunity thing. You just put yourself out. It's like fishing. Put it out there and see what happens, you know? So I was doing this gig in New York City with this uh, band that I had met uh, through the band that I was in in Albany. And uh, this guy came up to me afterwards and said, I'm Shamika Copeland's manager. Uh, we're looking for a keyboard player. You're, f- you know, phenomenal. We're, you know, we're, we're tour all over the world and all. Also- and I remember here listening to this guy going, "Really? Like, <laughs> come on, dude. Like, you're a talent scout. Okay, whatever. Air quotes again. Yeah, talent scout. Okay, right. <laughs> sure, you are. Big manager. And he kept talking to me, and I kept. He had this dumb printed, stupid shirt on with a stupid like Hawaiian he just didn't play oh, a part at all he had like yeah. a big hat on and glasses and everything and just this really eccentric thing so I just thought he was some loony dude and I gave me his card and I think I I didn't even keep the card I, th- I just knew he was full of it because who offers somebody a touring opportunity we tour the world that's yeah. what he's telling me you know, we tour all over the world I'm like okay whatever so I was right sure enough month another month six months a year goes by nothing so yeah. and I didn't it's not like I held on to it I just I just never heard from the guy again so yeah. I was like whatever and um, I had gotten a job at a, I was a bank teller if you can believe that <laughs> counting money all day you know and boy I could count it so fast <laughs> and um, they trusted me with uh, $125,000 in my drawer and uh, every week the 
the Brinks guy with the armored truck guy would come and there'd be like, you know, a quarter million dollars in this bag. And I always used to think like, God, they don't even lock the back door here, you know? <laughs> so my character's like cooking, you know? Yeah. But anyway, so I'm working there. <laughs> Long time development. Yeah, if they, if they, no one knew I was a magician, but I don't think I would have got the job if, uh, if they knew that. I'm not so sure. But um, so I'm working there and the phone rings and it's John Hahn. And he's like, hey, I met you a little while back. I'm thinking like, yeah, like a year and a half ago. And he said, we're going out on the road. We leave Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like Thursday, the day before, you know, the week before. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, we're, we need you. And our first date's in Tennessee. We're going to be out for three months. We end up in, uh, in, uh, in the West Coast. And I was like, all right, all right. So it was just like out of the movies. So I said, all right, well, I'll, I'll be there. I hung up the phone. <laughs> and I straightened my tie. Mm-hmm. And I did this with my hair, slipped my hair back, and you know, walked over to the boss and said, um, "I have to quit. I'm sorry." It was like middle of the day. Yeah. And he said, "You can't do that. You have to give us two weeks, and you have to finish your day here." And I said, "I'm sorry." As I'm like loosening my tie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And unbuttoning my uh, shirt to, to roll up my sleeves, like uh, I'm gonna go get my stuff and I'm gonna take off. Someone else can can count my drawer I'm going to leave and he said you can't do that you have to finish your day and I said as I'm backing out the door I said it's been great thank you I worked there for like a month and a half or something so I didn't really care about anything and um, that was it I did this and there was another manager next to him that was just laughing Mm -hmm. he knew what was he's like he's like Jim let him go he ain't coming back (laughs) and I gave him a little salute out the door and it was from then that I I toured I toured for um Ultimately, all together with all my bands, it was 11 years of touring. Wow. But with Shimika, it was about five years, nonstop. We wow. did 280 shows a year or something like that. That's yeah, crazy. It was just not, yeah, we'd go out for two, three months, come home for like four days to do laundry, and then go right back out. What so kind of magic are you doing on the road? Oh, I pre- you, when you're in a hotel room or on flights or driving eight hours to so-and-so, that's when you practice. So mm-hmm. I was, that's where I was hashing out all my technique, uh, seconds and stuff. I mean, you can sit and deal seconds right in your lap. So that'll get you good real quick when mm-hmm. you have a seven-hour flight to Europe or whatever. Just sitting on a plane, just doing seconds all day and bottoms. The downside to it is we'd be in Paris, and the band would go out to explore Paris and look at things. I'd be in my hotel room. There's pictures of me in my hotel room. I didn't even see yeah, I, I missed like museums and things like that because I was too busy working on my technique. So, And then when you meet other bands, you can. that's your kind of in, so you meet... BB uh, King's band and Ziggy, you know, they're playing bridge or playing poker or whatever. So I'd sit down and say, "Let me show you something," <laughs> and do like a bridge deal or something. Yeah. And you get that black reaction. <laughs> now you're in. Now, yeah. So you're not just some guy from the opening act coming up to meet people. You're like now their friend. Yeah. So that got you, that was a great way to ne- magic. You know, magic networking. You know, you use magic to get in the door, like the business deals and stuff. So uh, I became very friendly with all the bands that we played with. Uh, met Jeff Beck. Met uh, Aretha Franklin, Eddie James, uh, just down the list of all those bands. Uh, we opened up for the Stones. We did all sorts of amazing things while we were on the road. But and of course, playing every night, your your piano technique will—I mean—that'll blow it up too. You know, so between cards on the off hours and playing four nights a week, your technique just uh, tends to polish up pretty quick. Yeah. So talk about an amazing uh, opportunity to get paid to to see the world. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah? It was, yeah, it's great. What was it about blues? I mean, why, why blues? Blues is, is passion, man. Blues is feeling. 
there's something about today's music that feels like somebody put a syringe in it and sucked all the life out of it. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of money in it and they want to make it sound like the last album. You know, let's not take chances here. Let's make the music sound very similar to the last album. It's very formulaic. Oh, yeah, yeah. The the, the whole thing about uh, story and and meaning has kind of been sucked out of, of music these days. Yeah. For me... Blues is like what we talked about with Ronnie Earl. There's something in someone, and they're telling a very powerful story with lyrics that match the music. Mm-hmm. I think about 60s, 70s, and 80s. All that the music all had a story, and the music perfectly fit. Timeless songs, Pink Floyd. Yeah, you listen to David Gilmour and uh, Comfortably Numb, and it's like it's timeless. It doesn't even sound aged. The drums sound like modern drums. The guitar, the lyrics, and the guitar tones and everything sound like it could have been recorded today. So that's just, think about that. He plays a guitar solo in a, an arena of 50,000 people can sing the notes of the solo. They recognize that it's the same, you know? Yeah. So I like that music that has that, that feel. And there's something about blues that it's so fun to play. And it doesn't matter what kind of music you think you like. Mm-hmm. Blues will, will make you move. You know, it reaches everybody. It's expressive. It's in your soul. It's in your yeah. our DNA, man. There's something about that old that just the, the the particular grouping of notes that reach all of us in some way. Mm-hmm. Jazz, not so much. Jazz is very heady, um, but but for some reason, blues is like the, the beginning of it. You know, gypsy music way back in the 20s met that slave, a gang, uh, chain gang type uh, uh, things where slaves would sing to themselves to, mm-hmm. to keep things uh, going. And then in the 50s, the Chuck Berry, uh, Chubby Checker thing happened, you yeah. know, and then out of that came this thing. And there, it's an, I cannot describe what it feels like to have a great band behind you and a guitar, like a Strat with an amazing tone. And I have like a bunch of cool boutique amps and stuff. One-off things are handmade and everything. And when you hit that note, it's just, it's electrifying to, 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 to express yourself in that way. Because mm-hmm. they're not words. But they have so much more meaning, you know. So that thing is that that is so addictive. So I'm uh, glad to have that. And I flip flop. Some days it's guitar, some days it's piano. I, I can't decide on which one I like more. But no matter what, it's the expression that mm-hmm. comes from it. Don't think I can get the same expression out of some of the other bands that are out there today. You know what I mean? It doesn't seem so real. Yeah. Yeah, it seems just a little cans for me. So that's not downing all music t- today. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Derek Trucks. Mm-hmm. You know, they're still out there. Yeah. Uh, but it's blues-based. Yeah. And when you do hear a song on the radio today that has something to it, like I mean, Justin Timberlake or something, the ones that are, the ones that I can identify with are blues. I'm listening and I'm hearing like, this is blues one-on-one. It's yeah. the same stuff. It's just it's got, got a, blues licks or it's actually sampling old blues yeah, songs. Yeah, or, or literally sampling. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they, they just put a fresh drum beat on it and it's just the modern version of the blues. So, mm-hmm. um, blues is that thing you can keep coming, you can rely on that to make things work. Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. You know, those television shows like that, that those long-running things, the music in that is amazing. Yeah. It's all blues-based. It's not straight-up blues, but it has that that old thing and there's so much feeling and when they're trying to paint that picture of some old town or something blues is like the perfect thing to have or yeah walking dead they have a great uh uh soundtrack on that show too yeah it paints so, a picture really well it perfectly mm-hmm. and today it's not this it's just not the same yeah well any other questions you got how's your coffee it's amazing <laughs> thank you much yeah you're welcome so you said earlier that you were a foodie how does that? I mean, you you just kind of dive into these things that you want to be good at. What? It, where? Why? Why do you want to be good at them? 
Um, what are you trying to accomplish? What is the goal? Because I, for me, I want to tell you all the different things about this single malt scotch because I think it's fucking rad. You know, I think it's cool. It's this idealized version of myself that is sophisticated and cultured and, and, you know, understands the differences between things and has a refined palate and blah, blah, blah. I, are you talking about with food or with everything that I do or? Well, with everything that you do, but food. There's an experience there. So for example, wine, and then you taste wine different. I'm a Malbec guy. I love Malbecs, right? And each one has a different thing. Cigars. Like it does this, and it's an experience. We yeah. talked about this right before you started the thing. That's life. Life is experiences. It's not about the fancy TV you have, or the car that you got, or the fancy watch. None of that means it. You get it, or you thing you put on your wall, you love it the first day, and then you walk past it for the rest of your life. You never see it again. But experiences, you you can hold on to them, and that is what life boils down to. Boy, we're getting deep real quick. So when I have a wine that does that thing I want someone else to experience that yes so that's Lauren is a great example too because when I first met her I, I just had an epiphany keep going okay when, uh, she, when I first met her I asked her what her uh, what her drink was and she goes oh I don't know I'm still kind of thinking about it and that just like blew my mind I'm like how can you not have you know what is going on here yeah so I said try this wine and she tried it, but you know how when you're first starting out with wine, you're, you don't know, you're just drinking it, you know? Yeah. So then I showed her, you know, gave her the tips, and all this stuff was passed on to me when I was on the road. From yeah. From a guitar player that I was with, he turned me up. The first time I had scotch, I didn't like it. The first time I had sushi, I almost threw up. <laughs> you know, that I, I, really, I tried all these things, and then you, you see him enjoying it and loving it, so you're like, why can't, you know, let's, yeah. let's make this happen here. And then over time, I started to develop all the different tastes and different things. And like when you, the first time you taste cherry in scotch at mm-hmm. the end, yeah. you go, oh, like it's so obvious. And the first time I had it, I wondered why my eyes burned when I went down to the glass. You yeah, know? Like, yeah. Why would anybody, this is like turpentine, why would yeah. I drink this? So uh, with Lauren, I, I, it's so rewarding to have her take that first sip and say, you have the end. And now fast forward a couple months where she's like, takes her time, swirls the glass, smells it and says, Ooh, that's like oaky. And, you know, and like, oh yeah, you're yeah. doing it. Appreciate what this does. And then now you can compare that to the next one and, and have those differences or say, I love this one, not up front, but I like it at the end. How you can talk and share ideas about how it changes. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday I didn't like it or I didn't like this kind now, but now I do. You yeah. know, those you can sit down and have conversations. Or like coffee, things. it changes in real time as the temperature yes, changes. of course. Yeah. So all of those things. Uh, mm-hmm. Cigars do it. They change at the end. They get so much more potent oh, yeah. at the end. Some, I was hanging out just a couple days ago and I was having a real good one and I stood up and I was like, I think I should sit right back down. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I was already on my way down as I was saying, I think I should sit back down. So um, just those experiences, uh, that, that is our life. So, you know, get in there and, and, uh, and, and talk about it and share it with other people and, and find out what they like. What, yeah. you know, so it's not just me throwing all my stuff out there. That yeah. person's going to say, well, have you tried this? And I go, no. And I, then I say, Tell oh, me no, about I don't it. like yeah. it. And then they say, try it this way. And then you work and, and now you're sharing that great experience with that other person. Yeah. So this is the juice, man. I'm yeah. so excited right now. Yeah, because... we're in it. We're in it. Good now. Well, I, I just mean like I, what I just said to you, like this, I just, my mind changed in real time right now. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
I was like, I like this because, and then you said it's about I want other people to, and I I, I knew that logically, but it had just never it linked. Is a, yeah, yeah, it is a good connect. I like, I love those connections too. Yeah. And to bring it back to card magic, that's that's the, kind of the thing I'm debating on now with with my next book. The experiences that I have in performing, mm-hmm. I want to share those. Not the pinky count three cards and yeah, sure, yeah. Forget all that. Yeah, I want to talk about. Did you notice when this person had this happen to this spectator, had that happen, or the reaction that you got? There's one trick that I do that gets gasps every night. Uh, It's called Lucky Charms, and it's just a basic, it's a plot that's been out there a million times. But to feel that thing when all the oxygen gets sucked right out of the room, on a plot that's been around forever, the magician's almost like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that one. Not this way. Uh, There's another trick that I do that uh, I pit myself against the uh, stopwatch. The suspense that you feel... In that trick, you make some ridiculous bet right up front that I'm going to find four selections in four different spots of the deck. That the, you didn't see this. Uh, no. This wasn't in the show. This plot has been around forever. Four cards are selected. You put them back in the deck, and then you find them, and then they turn into like the four aces or something. Yeah. Big deal. Any, any magician that read that would just turn the page. Like, yeah. so what? I can do that. I don't need you to tell me how to do that. By adding in the stopwatch... Uh, you've, if, de- you've developed attention oh, drama man and people need to experience that so this is what's so in this particular trick I say I'll find the four cards and as a matter of fact I'll even throw in the aces too so now it's eight cards in 60 seconds and I shake the person's hand and I put $100 on the line mm-hmm. so I haven't even started the trick who's, who's going to get up and walk out of the, the room there right yeah. so by starting like that you have basically opened up like a movie where there's this huge plot thing that just happened and now we have two more hours to figure out what is going to happen yeah. and no one's going to leave the movie now if you do it the other way and just start finding people's car you, you've never created that that lift it's, yeah. it's just happening here and the person has to wait all this time to then see something kind of cool happen yeah so just that stopwatch and um that's I want people to to bring it back to what we're talking about to experience those things you know and there's I cannot describe what it's like when that stopwatch is getting down to about 15 10 seconds 5 seconds and you're only on like the third card Mm -hmm. only on the third card and the the motivation came from movies uh, like maybe Back to the Future Mm -hmm. you know at the end when the DeLorean's racing towards the the the, uh, clock tower and and it's not even set up and you're like they're never going to make it yeah and an even better example is that show Cooked or uh, Chopped. Remember Chopped? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The one guy that's got all the family problems that's about ready to get kicked out of his house that's, that his really whole life is upside down. Yeah. And, and there's like five seconds left and the food's not even out of the yeah. pot yet. You know? He hasn't played it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And he's running and you're like on the edge of your seat and you have all this emotional attachment to him like, oh man. And the clock's ticking. Of course, they edit it all. And the of guy course, slops yeah. it all onto the table. But yeah. he still gets it and you let out this huge release like oh my god that was so close so in this particular trick when it, I'm only on the third card that's what I wanted to create yeah six seconds left and I have five cards left and people are going to, you, can, you can just sense all the air getting sucked right up and of course through magic yeah. I, I end a clever kind of rework you know I, sure. I, I play with my words a lot and, and I say I never said this I, I meant this or whatever and I technically do what I said I was going to do and the audience sees that you achieved it, is mystified, can finally release, and that's how you get these amazing reactions out of a card trick. Yeah. Now, when you go on to some magic forums and people may not like my work or talk about gambling stuff's boring and mm-hmm. things like that, you need 
This is the experience thing. You need to do the trick and experience it in the right environment, in the right order, in the right con. You know, if you open with a gambling routine, like a long 10-minute closer, no one's going to watch that. Yeah. But if it's at the end of the show when they have your full attention it, and it's doing what it's designed to do, yeah. those experiences, that's what I want to share with other magicians and say, sit in this seat and feel that power and that skill that you're showing and that everyone you have everyone's attention and mm -hmm. every single person is wondering can he do this this time he has put himself out there too far this time and every like this yeah and it's michael jordan taking the end of yeah. the block and yeah. checking the yeah and and no one's gonna say well maybe he'll get it maybe he won't uh let me know how it turns out i gotta go and that's what magic can be for me and that's that passion you can feel the passion but yeah it's in music when you're watching a guitar player i just watched a clip last night of a blues guy mike welsh from Boston. I don't know. He was hitting some notes and I was sitting there on my phone watching this thing like with my mouth on the floor like, oh man, he's doing it right now. I want some, I instantly took that and sent it to my friend and said, you gotta hear this. You mm -hmm. know, and he writes back like, oh man, 402, that high note, you know, and um, that's how I deal with music. I have all my music buddies I share this stuff with. Yep. Food people, I say, you got to go eat at this place, New World Cafe, the salmon dish, wait, just wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it's gratifying to have them write back and say that. Yes. Amazing. So now yeah. I'm on this magic level now where I've got some material out there, but it's just material right now. Yeah. You know, it's just material. So uh -huh. I, I need to find a way, whether it's in my next book, I find myself writing more analysis, you know, more the, that section of the book is getting a little bigger because I want to let people know about these little feelings and things yeah and so that's kind of where i'm at now with let's share this let's talk about share, this let's share the experience yeah, yes yeah. yeah and and not that my magic is any better than the next guy in the magic that you create yeah well we talked about this yesterday if you want to link uh or change the color of a tic tac that's fine but can you elevate that can you can you get that pop in their yeah. mind and if you give it some context you can create that you can make that make the smallest little thing blow people's minds if, if, if you give it the right context. Yeah. Or if you happen to be in the right context and you can achieve that thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, it just comes down to card. cards appeal to me. That's mm -hmm. why I tend to, to stick with, with cards. So sure. there, there's nothing that's, there's no right or wrong when it comes to that. It's just that's yeah. my vehicle. Yeah. I yeah. have to do that with. Yeah. But sh yeah, sharing the experience. You, I, I, you want to feel, or I want to feel, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I want to feel validated in my thoughts and my assessment of a of um, a whiskey or of you know a dish but i also want someone else who maybe doesn't have the experience that i have to also kind of not even experience what i'm experiencing just kind of peek behind the curtain and get the feeling of being like oh there's so much more that i could be do you want to know what the word is with the moment that you had a moment ago i think i had it a couple of years ago mm -hmm. and it's just an awareness yeah when I was 20, I'm just moving forward, you know, just moving. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the world's passing you around and you notice some things here and there. Mm -hmm. But once you start doing this experience thing and thinking and realizing and analyzing everything in your head, yeah. you start to get a little bit, develop this awareness and you start looking for it mm -hmm. rather than having it happen and then tr possibly even missing an opportunity to analyze what happened. You know, yeah. something happens and it just kind of happens and now it's in your past. Sure. But if you're on the other side of it and you're used to analyzing all of these things that are around you, uh, now you're you're looking for this. It's like um, even with some of the card stuff I do, maybe comedy. Mm -hmm. You know, I was funny when I was a kid, but I didn't know what I was doing. Then you read a book on 
someone that really understands comedy writing and stuff like that and you see all these things and you go oh man I am doing that but I didn't realize it yeah or this I didn't really know about that but now I can add it in yeah and now you're not just waiting to be funny or when I'm adding these uh, jokes into my material or something like that I go looking for it mm-hmm. you know I say oh I, this is a little lull here let me yeah. do this and, and I'm aware of that procedure and it's much easier to implement when you kind of know what you're doing instead of just kind of waiting for it to happen yeah yeah so that craft stuff you can apply that to your day-to-day life and 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 scotch and all sorts of just anything that's Mm -hmm. fun you know yeah no i totally agree that self-awareness is what uh i i try to work on try to be self-aware but i it's very much like i didn't know why i mean i knew i knew why it just had never been so apparent to me in that moment as when you were talking about it is that like i like nice clothes because of the experience of it the way you feel and it gives other people a better experience the way you feel when i put on my all my that's one of my big trademark things with my magic brand is like madison has all of his tattoos and his leather jacket and whatever that white thing in his beard um i i have suits tailored suits yeah that's the look once i'm in that my character is right there and 10 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever um, you know, the first time you put on a suit, it's just a suit. Yeah. But it, you don't aren't aware that this is now. It can be out. elevated. Yeah, yeah, it's a completely new thing. So yeah. when you when you when it's tailored and it's pressed, you just feel like a whole different thing, and you, the character is so easy to come out. I mean, I did it something the other day where I was in a t-shirt and jeans, and it just it's so hard to. Uh, the twenty twenty interview that I did, mm-hmm. I didn't have shoes on, because it was shot from the uh, waist up. Yeah. And I sat there, so I had a suit on, tie, the whole nine yards, I was ready to go, and I start filming, and they're asking me the questions, and I'm demonstrating the stuff, and I just couldn't do it, because all I could think about was, I don't have my dress shoes on right now. <laughs> and I had to stop the shoot, and I said, I need, I'm sorry, I, 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 even though it's shot from here up, I gotta go get my dress pants on, and get my shoes on, and get into mode here. Yeah. Came back out, nailed it. I, I couldn't even do the shuffle. Yeah. It's just, it was so distracting. So in character and all my little tie clips and all the little accessories all add up to the you know, James Bond yeah. you know, thing. You've got to have all yeah, of yeah. it cooking right there. Yeah. It's not going to work. And that's, that's kind of what I meant when I, when I talk about cultivating this person that I want to be is like putting on a really well-fitting suit. It, it, first of all, it changes your body geometry. Mm-hmm. Secondly, nice fabric something that drapes on your body what you just feel taller you stand taller mm-hmm. you it's this thing so it, when you if you slouch down this part of your chest right here is pointing down or even but the moment you put a suit on the, the center of your chest is now pointing up like this yeah. and, you, and you're right you're like three inches taller and you're just yeah. powerful people can feel you, that people power. can exactly yeah. they feel it and you can connect with people so much more because a suit makes you stand up right your body language opens up you know mm-hmm. if if it's something that fits well if you go get a if you rent a tuxedo oh uh, yeah yeah i've been should. there <laughs> <laughs> i've been there a few times oh man i did some photo shoots for some people and you don't have any choice you just show up and you yeah. do some stuff and i got this i was just like oh man <laughs> no it's awful yeah yeah so, it's 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 uh, counter yeah exactly counter yeah so i am uh yeah i am the same way when it comes to fashion there are no it does not matter if I'm in DC and I see some shoes I gotta have those it's yeah. that kind of a thing because I know that, that this is not just a pair of shoes this is gonna yeah. equate to something else and I like being separate from other people you know this is now my thing sure. I need to look this way Yeah, that's why I don't do the street magic thing it's mm-hmm. difficult for me to have that persona that 
leather jacket and shirt and and yo let me show you something kind of yeah. thing I, that that doesn't make my material work you can still do half the tricks in the book convert them over like a forging ahead i think you saw the signature transfer trick yes uh, for the people that don't know i, I move a signature uh, signature and a drawing from a spectator from the face of one card to the face of another card which is mind-blowing right to the to the audience yeah um but i have this beautiful speech i talk about Count Victor Lustig, this master forger that lived in the 1900s, and you paint a little picture. It's only a minute worth of uh, of, uh, of patter, but it, it it establishes some character. I study yeah. forgers. I, I look into history. Yeah. I appreciate. I'm someone who forges signatures. I appreciate hard work, but I like shortcuts. Yeah. You know that 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 because I'm going to use my head for this. Yeah. You could take that, and that's beautifully put together. It's a two minute trick, and that trick is funny because when you finish, sometimes the audience doesn't. They just can't they don't even know how to react because they can't comprehend what they just saw yeah um but you could easily take that go up to someone on the street and say yo 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 <laughs> check this out sign here sign here hold your hand out boom you know now it's been street magic street magic uh and people air quotes <laughs> yeah yeah thank you and uh it, it'll still play it'll yeah. still play so so it's just what your character does what your persona is and you can you can take any trick and kind of make it Mm-hmm. Uh, make it work but yeah what you wear and I'm sure that the guys that wear the leather jackets and the the uh, tattoo sleeves and the accessories and stuff that's their suit that, yeah that's their air suit quotes. exactly air quotes <laughs> that's what and if you put them in a suit they'd feel completely lost I'm sure you know yeah. so for um, and this is that awareness thing I never yeah. knew this stuff I never ever ever knew this stuff so I can I could be trying out someone's material, but if I wasn't in that right environment, I wasn't me. I was still kind of looking for me. You yeah. Know? And that's why maybe something didn't play. Yeah. Because I just wasn't in my... I was. You weren't creating the right experience. I wasn't any character, really. When yeah. I first started out, I was this type of person. Yeah. And then I'd switch to this type, and I didn't know what mm-hmm. I was doing. And I would judge... I'd blame the trick. Mm-hmm. I thought, that trick's terrible. It didn't play. Yeah. Well, maybe because you're a 17-year-old kid telling a story about how when you were a gambler back in the 20s you know like maybe that had when something when you were in Panama <laughs> yeah, exactly when I was uh, in Panama yeah back in the 70s mm-hmm. when you were two you know so uh, I remember the trick too I, I always used to try this one trick and it just never ever played and I'm sure the audience was out there thinking what story is what, what is this and it was so distracting for the yeah. magic Sure. But for me, I used to do magic like a cookbook. You know, uh-huh. do this first, then do this, then say this, then do this. And it took me a while to, to start figuring out that this is a character that does things. It's a living, breathing things. thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, and I pull it from all over the place. James Bond mm-hmm. loved the James, the confidence. I mean, you can see that yeah, on stage. It's, it's pure. I'm never going to fuck up. I'm, I've got all my stuff together. Yeah. Slick, smart. Will always, always have a, a way out somehow. Mm-hmm. And uh, other people I'll, I'll pull into, Bill Maher. Oh, yeah. The sarcasm. The snarkiness. Oh, yeah. I love that. When he says things like, oh, no, because that's what you want. You know, th- those, <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That yeah. Kind of, oh, yeah. no, because that'll be a great idea. I'm sure that that'll work out just fine. Yeah. And then he, but it's incredibly smart mm-hmm. as well. So Carlin, It's acerbic. Car, yes. Carl, yeah. uh, George Carlin had it. Seinfeld has it. But they're... Um, yeah. Polar opposites, yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. always smart. Yeah. And Family Guy's got the shock value thing. Some smart, sometimes with more shock value. So mm-hmm. I, I pull from the the comedians that have that really brilliant, smart mm-hmm. um, thinking behind them. And uh, so, and even the characters from movies, Tony Stark. Yeah. That's another big character 
of mine there. I love that confidence in him. I just yeah. I, I don't I hate the movies, but uh, um, the 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 plot. You know, it's just like today's uh, action. It's a typical action. Chug and plug. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just just pound it out for a summer blockbuster, and you're good to go. So there's not much there, but his character uh, is great, and I love to pull from. So it's like I'm pulling from several different people to kind of mold yeah. myself. I don't even know who of me is in there yeah. that's left. But when I go through my scripts, I can tell you, oh, that's so-and-so, and that's coming from this guy, and yeah, this yeah. is a very Bill Maher kind of a line here. And my and friend, a look. And a, and a friend of mine that I, he's so negative. He's one of those guys that his outlook on the world is just so horrible sometimes. Uh. And he, but he's, <laughs> he's my best friend. So it's not all the time, but, it, he's, so, he, but he's so funny. He yeah. says, oh, I'm sure I'll get this, but then right after that, I'm going to get an accident and have my legs chopped off. <laughs> and I'll never make it, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, I, I pull from him. Nobody knows who he is. But his... Yeah. That cynical... Yes, yeah. cynicism. He, he does it better than anyone in the world. And uh, I'll, I, to, I stir him in there. Too. Yeah. I've even thanked him in my next book because there's so many lines, so many little ad libs in there that I do in my show that are right from his mouth. Um, but that character development thing is so much fun. Yeah, it never ends. Why do you think you're drawn to that character over the tattoos and leather jacket character? I don't like card tricks where the guy says um a lot. The Chris Angel thing or even the David Blaine thing where there doesn't seem it's it's just watch this. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, it's I understand like, there's like a taste involved, but I mean why that cuz you could do leather jacket and tattoos and and be that guy. I know your tattoos are cool, I but. like being different. And okay. I like the classical thing. Okay. The suit thing. No one uh well uh Hollingworth. There's just the people that that still dress up. Yeah. But uh, in magic, there seems to be right now a lot of people doing the street tattoo magic thing, you know? Okay. Um, or the hokey, you know, genie pants, you know, that kind of exaggerated character also. I um, don't really know. That never really appealed to me. Yeah. I always... It has to be from James Bond. The first movie I saw in the theater mm-hmm. was Living Daylights. And here's a guy in a suit... Mm-hmm. Running through the streets, jumping over fences, pulling guns out, and shooting people, and rolling under cars. And Daniel Craig is one of my favorites, and he's the same thing. He's always he just looks so good all the time. And then after the big action thing, he's got the guy held up against a fence with a gun to his his forehead or something like that. Mm-hmm. The guy's all bloody and everything. And Bond takes an extra moment to fix his tie right before he pushes. You know, he yeah. has him fixes the tie, then pulls. You know, make sure I look good first before I yeah. get the information out of this guy. So I think that went in my head at an early age, mm-hmm. and I said I want to look that good all the time on mm-hmm. stage. So I, I just, um, and there's another reason too, believe it or not, and it's more of a practical thing, but a suit offers like eight pockets. Yeah. Um, and a t-shirt and jeans, I don't know how. I mean, I love that my work is, I have everything I could possibly need right here in, in one deck. I could yeah. do a two-hour show with a deck of cards if I wanted. Um, but I still like having different decks that are set up in different ways pens wallets things like that and everything's all kind of in my utility suit sure. utility suit air quotes <laughs> uh, my Batman's Batman's another one that I pull from oh yeah Bruce Wayne oh that, yeah that thing it's just it's gotta be from my childhood I'm having one of those moments right now like yeah great question where's all this coming from but um that's what I was I was really trying to get to your childhood that's what I wanted to know about is I, this where that came from it has to because that's where my all of my stuff came from yeah from my, my first I think about that. My first exposure to the big screen was a Bond movie. Mm-hmm. So we went from watching a black and white TV that had one channel yeah. to a 
theater. I mean, I've never seen him you know, as a kid. You go like, this is how, why are the letters so big? <laughs> you know, and then the opening scene in, in, uh, in uh, Living Daylights, he's in a tux uh, shooting the uh, into the opera room across the street. This is Roger Moore, yes? No, no, no. Living Daylights is uh, Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton. Oh, first. oh, okay. So this yeah. is the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he was driving that Austin Martin with the two, four headlights in the front, the brown one. Uh, and it has the, the four round headlights in the front. Yeah. So it's no doubt that the car that I'm driving, my dream car is uh, my car that I'm driving right now. It's a, it's a uh, GT Mustang, an 8, an mm-hmm. 08. It has the four headlights. It's yeah. from the front. When you put the, the Bond's car and my car next to each other, they're like almost identical. So that, I think in your formative years, you see stuff like that and it just sticks. And to see him, see all that action and that, suaveness and everything yeah and then to find the Bond movies before you know I, I kind of went in reverse I saw uh, Timothy Dalton first and then went back and found the Sean Connery one mm-hmm. one of my favorite 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 scenes in all of the Bond stuff is not an action one there's actually two of them really two favorite scenes the one is Casino Royale at the very end he never says his name through the whole movie and mm-hmm. at the very end the guy the villain Mr. White finally says who are you and he delivers the line, you know, and he just looks so good. He's in that three-piece suit. That yeah, yeah, big the, ass yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the triple Windsor or something. Yeah. I don't even know it exists. Hannibal, you seen Hannibal? Oh my God, that's you one of my here. favorite shows. You're my best it's, friend. Now. That's it yeah. is the it's the one of the best shows that's ever come out. Yes, period. completely for, for television, agree. Everything yeah. is perfect. Double entendre. Every single line that comes. The guy's the smartest thing. It's a fascinating show. It's so heady. It's, Everything is so. It's never confusing and it's so mysterious. You never know what is going on. Mm-hmm. And whenever you're in a situation where you're like, "What is going on here?" You. You, you t- kind of don't like it, but in this situation, we don't know is Abigail real? Is Will killing people? Is he killing people? Are they together? Are they in love? Are they not in love? What yeah. is, it was. Is amazing. this a dream sequence? Like, yes. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Mads Mickelson. He's in the Casino Royale too. So, yeah. um, th- th- again, with the suits, that whole thing mm-hmm. was why you and I probably like that. How appealing it is. Yeah. But to finish the Bond thing, uh, he said. When he says his name in Casino Royale, it's one of my favorite things. He's just saying his name, but the power behind it. And the other one is when, from Goldfinger, I think, one of the very first ones. I mm-hmm. think it's Goldfinger. It's when he blows up the oil tanker. Mm-hmm. So he, he sneaks into this compound, and he's wearing a black jump wetsuit or something, yep. and he runs up, and he puts the C4 in that white tanker, and then he runs through the woods and pulls all the stuff off, and it's a white tux. That and dinner jacket is... And he, and he puts the flower in yeah. the thing, and he walks in, and he's got that cigarette. And he casually checks his watch, and he drags on the cigarette, and then the, the bomb goes off. And everyone else flips out, but he doesn't. And that childish look where he goes, like, did I do that? You know, that little, <laughs> it was just with his eyebrows. It's like, oh, the, it's the Bill Maher thing, yeah. almost. That's that little cynical, like, oh, what is... <laughs> and then he puts the cigarette, and then he sits down and starts gambling, you know? So that... That moment, those little moments, yeah. uh, I think, went in and, and yeah. did something because I want to be doing that. Yeah. You know? That white dinner jacket inspector is a direct callback to that. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of callbacks um, in that. Uh, yeah. Live, live and Let Die, I think, mm-hmm. with the skeleton type thing. But anyway, now let's, yeah. let's get back into Hannibal for Yeah, let's do it. Everything is so precise it's, in that It's show. one of the best written things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. The plot is all over the place, but you can follow it. Sometimes, like in those horrible Star Wars movies, the new ones that yeah. have like there's like 90 subplots, and you can't remember people's names, and they're intertwined, and it's so complex. And then while it's incredibly complex, 
there's visuals that blow your mind. Mm -hmm. So you can't possibly... It's sensory overload. Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. So those movies are garbage. <laughs> this movie, the, uh, Hannibal, is still doing the visual stunning thing. It's yeah. just not lasers and all that other junk. No. Space uh, things and, and fake creatures and things that usually stun you. Yeah. And how they use CGI, yeah. they don't use it in the way that most shows do. That big, cr the stag with the feathers yeah. on it and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all. But, and then that freaky it's creature, mm -hmm. the bust with yep. the big antlers that's mads but not you know it's like yeah yeah talk about the creepiest thing you've ever seen and in every show i get off like seven eight nine times thinking like this is the most amazing thing i've ever seen and yes how complex the relationships are and mads it almost seems like he's that he's always saying like the opposite of what he really like you're trying to figure out the the subtext mm -hmm. every time and um you're also trying to figure out where you are in this story that you already know because I've been a huge Hannibal Lecter fan since oh, yeah, Man well, Hunter. Yeah, of course. You know, so like original, I've seen original. all the things. And remember when they it was all different characters. Freddie yes. Rounds was a guy, remember yep. they they mm -hmm. the, the original original? Yeah, yeah. So all that, you know, I'm trying to figure out where we are in that, what I already know and then how they're changing it and all this other stuff and it's it just so refreshing. They nailed that. And I'm kind of at first I was sad they stopped after 3, but I kind of hope that they don't continue it so that they ruin it yeah you know they ended on a high note remember mm -hmm. the Seinfeld thing you know yeah so I, I don't want them I mean I would love another season or something for my own personal gratification but they have the it's so good that just like don't mess it up you know yeah. so I'm okay if they if they don't continue yeah I agree but there were so many moments in that that it was so rewarding to watch that and watch it a second time and a third time and see all these little things in there that are just so brilliant so so brilliant and how Matt, visually stunning all of the all of the dialogue is exaggerated it's all elegant it's po potent and eloquent and, and, potent and what's and, the other word it's like condensed it's almost like poetry like yeah, poetry exactly. is like a, a like uh what's that one play monkey's paw mm -hmm. where he just you know the one i'm talking about no. he describes a lamp out in the street but he uses a word that you would never ever ever use to describe a lamp Mm -hmm. You know, but when you hear it, it goes into your brain, and you go, "You just understand that is because that word paints the rest of the of the picture yeah. for you." And if you just said the bright light, you know, like that's amateur writing one on one. Yeah. So he's able to find these different words that make mm -hmm. that story uh, absolutely brilliant. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I wanted to say something a little bit about context. Magic is about that context. You can do things, but it's also saying something underneath. Mm -hmm. And I wish that more magicians would would think about that that context because we have to think through Hannibal There's, mm -hmm. that's what makes it so cool yeah. and that's what makes Dexter suck so bad because when you watch Dexter come in the room he says what he's really thinking he says to another character I don't like you and then that character says you know what I don't like you either mm -hmm. and you're at home going okay these fucking people don't like each other big deal yeah, yeah. I got it in Hannibal they say something and you're trying to figure out what the fuck does this mean no. and then when this happens that's a double entendre. So was he doing this or was he saying, you know, is, is it going along? And we get to think and use our brains the whole time. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so stimulating because we're trying to figure out everything. And um, it's so brilliantly written. But in magic, every time we do something, there's a little subtext that goes around that. If I bend the spoon, are you saying you can bend things? Spoons with your yeah, mind? Yeah. Or, yeah. So, so, and then when you link those things are you say, okay, are you saying that you can do stuff and so I am so happy to have realized that and when I put all my work together with my card stuff 
everything's consistent. I am saying the same thing, no matter if I do magic, gambling, any kind of contest, bet thing or whatever, mm -hmm. from the beginning to the end, I am consistent. Throughout. What is that subtext for you? That I am someone that you never want to play cards with. Okay. And I am someone that knows more about cards than you'll ever know. Not mm -hmm. you, I mean the audience. I am someone that can, that you uh, know that if I went to Vegas, I could rip them off instantly. Um, I know more about crooked games. I know about counterfeit money. I know about tricky ways to get out of situate. Like I'm mm -hmm. a slippery, yeah. you know, double I, on time. Uh, yeah, yeah, th those types of things. Where if I was sitting out at a table and there was uh, people that were all in trouble for something, I'd be the first one that they let off. Well, it couldn't have been that guy. You get out of here. You know, but like I, I did it, but I'm just passing it off onto someone else. Yeah. So that con man persona, I, all that stuff is all consistent. Um, throughout I, I have no problem stealing from people I would help my this is my character yeah just so we're clear I would help an old lady across the street only if her purse was her coin you know her checkbook yeah. was on the top of her purse so that I could steal it out that's my character you yeah. know and that, that I love that you know just but I'm sincere I'm nice to that woman the whole time you know I help them out and that's you think well that's hard anybody do that but that character that consistent con man character throughout I look nice, I carry myself well, but in reality, I'm just a con man. Yeah. That's all. And I, and I have a past, a dark past that I'm, that's chasing me a little bit. You know, that's sure. what's, uh, there's something in there that I like messing with too. Like I did some time in Jersey, like I did get busted once, you know, yeah. and I'm still pissed off about it. And that's what motivates me to keep, you know, moving forward. Yeah. So you can exam you can look at your material and say what is what am i saying you know yeah. and then start to develop that character and then once you have your character nailed down yeah. it's so much easier to pick your material and make your act and make your jokes and what you yeah. wear and all that if you don't have that character you are just somebody that's doing you don't know how to create the experience you have no direction you're just doing things yeah you're just doing things you mm -hmm. are do you're making moments you're confusing the shit out of your your audience because you're doing just Random. Here's a an apple that I just made appear in your coffee. Okay, now here's a. I'm gonna put this pencil through this dollar bill. Now, they're not connected. It's just a bunch yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, so for any magicians that are just kind of starting out, you have to do all those things to mm -hmm. get the experience in front of people and start feeling what magic can do and stuff. But sure. yeah, to take it to the next level, um, really start examining like what do you want to be like mm -hmm. when you're out there. That's um, that was a big one for me when I yeah. started discovering that. And it's also like, I would imagine that performing in, you know, doing shows, you have to be very aware that what you're doing is theater, you know, to be able to pull off that kind of character because people are, may assume, because magic isn't in the same vein as dance or actual theater mm -hmm. or music, you know, there's a, there's a built-in context that people can identify. They don't have that with magic. So I would imagine people in your audience assume that you are your character. Yeah, oh, I get that a lot. And yeah. I can sense that. And this is why the, I, another reason I like the castle a lot. And that little red curtain goes closed. I can hear every single thing that those people are saying because the, the venue is so small. Mm -hmm. uh, so I get to hear feedback right away. And it's always the same stuff. That guy, I can't even imagine the stuff that he's done in games. Because I talk, uh, one of my scripts is about this is something I do in a, in a card game all the time. And I'll show you how I do it and and how I can make it work. And the comments that people come up afterwards and ask me, like, what is it like to cheat in a game? What is it, you know, have you ever, what's the most money you've ever stolen? I mean, they yeah. wouldn't ask that if they thought it was a 
an act yeah. or something. So yeah, they do that. That line is pretty blended. What do you do with that when it happens? Do you continue as the character, or yeah, do you... I don't want to let them down and say, "Oh no, these are just tricks I've done in a, that I learned in a book." That okay. would that's like that's like the little kid that runs up to the Indiana Jones set and sees Indiana Jones in his leather jacket and his hat and taps on him, and the guy turns around and it's the stunt double. Mm-hmm. You know that kid's shattered now. Like yeah. what the hell? Like you were supposed to be climbing under that. Uh, you're that supposed giant to be Harrison tr- Ford. Yeah, what the <laughs> hell? Like uh, you're supposed to be. Um, under the big truck in the desert there, climbing up and getting your face punched through the glass and all that, and the kid would be devastated. So the audience is that little eight-year-old kid, and they want to believe it. So why strip them of... I mean, I couldn't imagine... How horrible would that be to say, no, that's a that's a Darwin Ortiz trick, or that's a, something I, I watched in a DVD before I came out here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, well, I, I didn't mean to trivialize it, but I think you know nobody goes up to the the uh, the guy who plays Simba in the Lion King mm-hmm. on Broadway and goes, why aren't you in a zoo? Yeah, that's true. You know. No, I didn't mean it that literal. I just meant that I continue the character all the way right up to that last question mm-hmm. yeah, and and say that the, and and to them they don't know what I do and I have cheated in games. Yeah, I have to. sure, yeah. of course. So, so anybody that can second deal has cheated. In oh game. man, <laughs> I used to. That game was. That was a thrill to play in that game. Yeah. I just hope no one who played in that game is listening to this. But um, I, my heart was thumping. I could, I would think that the guy next to me could hear it. Yeah. It was thumping so loud. Yeah. And um, but it really helps you cut your get your chops and understand what it's like. And it's like method acting. If you're gonna if you're gonna say that you're a card cheat, you might yeah. as well have a little experience um, in the game. So, but once you got used to it, uh, I realized that no one's watching me. Yeah, it was the easiest thing in the world. I got over that fear, and I realized that everyone's looking at their own hands, or watching the game on the thing, or talking to each other, or getting beer, or whatever. And I'm mm-hmm. over there, you know, I'm six card. I'm saying, all right, Frank's gonna get the six, uh, Paul's gonna get the eight, and oh look at that, I get a ten. <laughs> so um, uh, that was a, a, a great experience. So I'm not bending the rules that much. Yeah. When when these people talk to me, uh, sure. But I, I certainly want to keep it uh, going. Some people ask questions in more a little bit more intrusive questions and I just say I you know that's that's the magic because what I said about blending the line of magic mm-hmm. like in I don't think you saw it the, the one trick I do where I stack the queens I give myself queens you can see them go down in my hand they're obviously queens then mm-hmm. I give I turn this hand over across me and it's the four kings and then without ever touching anything I turn these cards over in the races so where is that yeah, you know, is that magic? Because I didn't sense center deal or second deal the, the aces. They somehow changed. Yeah. So I leave that open to the audience. Was it a switch or was it whatever? But something happened. Yeah. So some people can believe that the the magician in me did it, or it must have been some amazing card chart mm-hmm. switch or something. And I, that's fine if they they could because it must have been the cleanest switch in the world. If they yeah. Did, you know, I didn't come anywhere near the card. So they're thinking, how the hell does he do that in a game? But obviously he could. I was staring at him and he just did it. Yeah. So uh, this one place I worked at, this guy, grown guy was like, is this magic? Like, is magic real? Like, he pulled me aside, you know, like, is it real? Like, what are, what are the things you're doing? Like, tell me. Because the way you did that trick, it's not possible unless it was magic. And I just said that you're going to have to figure, you're going to have to suffer with that. Yeah, you know what I mean. So yeah. I didn't say, you know, yeah, I sold my soul or whatever. I just, yeah, I just leave it to them. Leave, yeah, exactly. Sure. And that bubble is is uh, a wonderful thing that he'll have for the rest of his life, trying to figure out how this stuff works. Yeah. Hmm. 
I guess that's just something that I, I struggle with because, you know, there was that whole magic is an art form thing, and it's like, well, sure, but it's also totally unlike every other art form. Oh, it's for its own exactly thing, for sure. what you just said. You know? It's very complicated. Yeah. And I do believe firmly that it is an art because of the simple um, comparison to story. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt that when you read a book, that's art. All right, when you look at the painting on the wall, that's art. But if someone can uh, tell a story that is an art form, cooking is an art. You know, yeah. you can take anything and just make it an art. Um, now, those stupid paintings in the city that are like the word rat stenciled upside down that goes for like $10 million. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the analogy, I think. Like sometimes people think, well, is that art? Mm-hmm. You know, so you can look at magic and twist it around a little bit. But if I'm telling a story with my character explaining something that happened to me in a game the other day, I'm just telling a story. Yeah. And that story has progression and build and I create other characters, you know, I create those people. We get into a conflict right away all of a sudden this guy did this I had to do something that's mm-hmm. my character the audience is out there going oh my god what did you do and then I there's the climax and then uh, the resolution scene at the end to let him down it, I am just taking the story arc 100% every single time and if you perform magic that way all te- I'm so glad that we didn't talk any technical stuff all technical stuff aside that's what I'm doing I'm just letting the cards tell my story in this magical way and if you don't have conflict, if I walk up to you and say, here's two lifesavers, now they're linked, that's the word rat stenciled upside down for a million bucks. There, there's nothing in there. There's no, where was your story arc? Where yeah. was your anything? Um, so think about every episode of Hannibal. Mm-hmm. You know? And it just keeps, you can, especially in two. Mm-hmm. Is it two? The one that starts, I don't, I don't want to ruin it for anybody that watched it, but it starts out with the end yeah. in the kitchen. Yes. Oh that my happens. God. That's three. That was three. Okay, okay. Three. So it starts out, I'm getting chilled. I just got chills down both legs. Yeah. It, that starts, and then it goes, huh, well, you know, now we're back six months ago or whatever. Yeah. Now, how can you get up and walk away because it's you know a, it's, it's coming? It's a big old tease. And it's tension, 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 because it's coming. Yep. Now, I watched that episode, and I created a card trick, like, right after that. I didn't even know what the trick was going to be, but I wanted to show the ending first like that. Mm-hmm. So I, that's story again. I'm using that as a template, and I'm saying that I loved shared experiences. It's all happening again. I watched that episode of Hannibal. I experienced it, and now I want to share that with other people. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll, I'll tip the, not the method, but the, uh, the premise. a little bit of the premise of this trick. Yeah. I come right out, and I remove seven cards, and I say, this is going to be your poker hand in a moment. And the, the pattern is obviously much better than this, but I, sure. I say, uh, you have to be good at reading people as a poker player. Elliot, you're an open book. I, can re- I, I know what you're going to have for breakfast before you do tomorrow. And just by looking at you, I can sense that this is the poker hand you're going to have. And I put it right in front of you. I leave. There is no switch. It's right in front of you. And uh, you deal the cards out. And when you turn your hand over, it's like a 7-3, queen, 9-5, whatever. And from a deck you shuffled, it, all the technique is out of the way. And it's the, the, the mirror image of the hand. It's, so you have the black 9. I had the black 9. The two. It's even in the same order. Mm-hmm. And you get to shuffle the, the cards out. But all, and it, it's an amazing trick. Uh, but it came from story. Mm-hmm. I said, I saw the ending first. They said in the beginning of that episode, this is where it's going, and you just had to wait. You put that hand down and say, you're going to have this hand in a moment. The audience is coming. All right. Now you shuffle the cards. Now they're going, what? Now, yeah, now you get to now see you how shuff- we get now there. Now take any seven cards you want out of the deck. And they're going, what? 
Then they take seven cards out of the deck. And I say, you know, and you know, my character. Yeah. I all of a sudden realize, air quotes, I realize, you know, why don't you mix the hand up too? Let's not take any chances here. Mix those cards up as much as you So now they're mixing their seven cards up too. And people are like, what is going on here? Yeah. Because they know the ending. They know mm. that we're getting closer to the end of that season when everything's going to link up. Yeah. Man, that episode is good. Yeah. Then, uh, one by one, we turn the cards over and they match. And you, that, that's, that, that's that climax. So, back to what you said about gambling or magic. I mean, where is that? Mm-hmm. It's a gambling premise. I'm talking about poker. Sure. But how the hell is that possible? Yeah. That must have had a little bit of that magic and I love just blending that line I just mm. take that little knob and say well this one's a little bit more magic-y and this one's a little bit more gambly um, and you had said that right in the beginning about the common magic forum thing as gambling routines are you know you can't just say that yeah you, you have to look at the bigger picture and say where what is the story around it what is where's the entertainment value what is the whatever but I think that some of those magicians tried a gambling routine once mm-hmm. and it was a shitty one mm-hmm. and then they judge them all and they did it as a gambling routine or expose or some sort of thing that uh, so, is so flat defensive so driving banal. yeah some yeah. defensive driving thing I, I did a blog about that a while ago if, if you just show how to do the move mm-hmm. well then what you know so what yeah um, you want to have entertainment value instead of just demonstration And this coffee has changed like five more times. It's still delicious, <laughs> right down to the end. It's like tea now almost. I can't read one of the things that I wrote down because I was writing in such a hurry. Um, whatever, it doesn't matter. Oh, another question? Yeah, it was just a couple other things I wanted to talk about. I, I'm fine if you're fine on time. I'm, this is yeah, great. We're, and we're opening up to the Hannibal stuff. Uh, I don't want to have a boring podcast for sure. But Look, if people just watch Hannibal, if that's all they get from this <laughs> podcast, we have succeeded. Listen, folks, if anyone's still listening, just go get Hannibal and shut this off. Yeah. And you will think, you will say it was the best podcast ever. Yeah, it, it, it changed your life. Um, I, so you have a very quick rhythm, and I'm sure that that is due in part to you know the kind of slick, fast, common fast character. Yeah, exactly. you're a fast talker. I'm glad that you can see rhythm. all this. This is fascinating to be... Hear it coming from... You don't get to hear this from layman, for sure. Yeah. But you're on the other side of it, picking up on a lot of the things that I, I am working on. And it's well, nice to hear it. It is back. a very cohesive experience that you create. And I would be interested to see... We talked about earlier when we were walking down here, uh, you know, that you love that room as a venue for the stuff that you do. And that you wouldn't... You know, if you had a day to come up with a room... You couldn't match. The I couldn't come. Cl- that that's ten times better than what I could even imagine in my mind. The yeah. lighting, the seat, the way the seats are elevated, how small it is, the old old feel of it, and everything. Yeah. It's perfect. I would be interested though, in because that is that's a room for close up magic, and you're doing close up magic. There's no doubt. But I would be interested in if there was. So uh, Heller Gamares had his show, uh, Borrowed Time, mm-hmm. several months ago. Um, the room in which he performed was like, it basically looked like a warehouse. Plywood, right? That he built it. Right? Yeah, he yeah, built I heard it. Heard about it? Yeah. yeah, and it's a big ca- uh, card table, and there's twenty seats, and he's you know sitting at the card table, standing at the card table, and all these people around. I would be interested to see your act in that room or some room, something like that, that is a little more shady, a little less polished. Well, you know. it's funny you should say that because we're building my show right now 
mm-hmm. my Derek show, my Helder show. Uh, I have my show that I'm putting together that's very similar to that. Those guys are doing it. I've yeah. got the chops. I, there's no reason why I can't do that either. So we have a friend of mine, uh, his name's Sean Doolin uh, from upstate New York. We're putting these shows together. We've done about five or six of them now, and we're selling out mm-hmm. to these places. And um, what, that finding the right room is, is key. Um, but what you said about cohesive, I want everything to be right. Mm-hmm. Now, when you watch a James Bond movie, I hate to keep pulling from him, but he is no, a, a huge sort. I mean, it's so clear what he is. Yeah, There's no question. It's so clear what he is. And he's always got the fancy car. It's always clean. He's always got a press suit. All that stuff's there. And in his movies, there's always the latest technology and gadgets, and it's all black, shiny, Sony, you know. Yep. It's everything's... There's not a fingerprint on anything in that movie. Yeah. So... My show, I don't, uh, you know, I've done shows in like cigar shops before. That's a good fit for me because I do smoke cigars and I enjoy that. It's part of my character. Obviously, he smokes cigars, as do I in real life. Um, So that's okay. But we did like a church once and it did, it's, it's the the rooms there, the seats are there, the tables are there. Oh, I have the clip on, I I put that clip up with me playing a piano intro. Okay. Uh, I'll show it to you afterwards. Uh, There's this huge concert grand there and. He says, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the, the world-class uh, magician Jason Lennon, I come out and played a piano for like two minutes, and he comes up and taps me and says, I said, magician, not musician. So I got a great laugh. <laughs> it was funny, and it was great. Yeah. No, but the, 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 the room wasn't quite right. Yeah. So, again, back to the Bond thing, though. Oh, well, can, I, can I interrupt you for a second? Sure. Did you do your show as it is? Did you do your character, or did you tailor it for the room and the, the people? No, I do my thing. Okay. I like doing my yeah. I'm me. I don't like bending things for a show at all. Okay. Yeah. I, it, those. Uh, that's it. I think I'm older now too, so I don't like when corporate corporate gig says we want you to tie in the product to such and such and this and that thing. I'm just not that guy. Yeah. I'm not that. Yeah. This is my show. This is what I do, and I love being older. Yeah. I because now it's just like no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you just it takes no. you a while to learn that. I'll yep. tell, if anyone's out there, just wait. When you're in your late 30s. It gets really easy to tell people what you want because it really is what you want to do. And when the answer is no, it just feels so rewarding to say, I don't want to fucking do that thing anyway. So anyway, yeah. um, this show, uh, we, we did it at a church. And now we're looking for like a smaller theater. But ultimately, back to the Bond reference, uh, we want, I don't think anyone else is doing this. I want the 91-inch flat screen TV behind me like that. Mm. Uh, for the people at home, I'm pointing to a really shiny, flashy flat screen TV. Now... That would be it. You know, I have a slick black table, a card table that's just the right height. It's all black. I have a beautiful uh, cloth that I put over it, uh, all black. And then I have uh, those mats that I get that it's like that green gold. It's like that's beautiful. So, again, all the props, my leather wallets, everything's up, up on that upper tier. And to have a television behind me that costs $5,000 or something. Yeah. Would just and that's the close up of the hands that people could see from the back row. But you know when you walk into a place that electronics like Best Buy and you see all those televisions and you're just like, oh man, look at all this, that awe thing, that how sharp the email, crystal yeah. clear that is. Now the whole audience it's even more immersive because they can see like the people in the back can see like they're sitting right at the table. But the hit the other little subtext is, you know, this guy's got money. Yeah, look at all this stuff. So that's what we would like to do now if I have 91 inches behind me it doesn't really you know that can hide some, something that's not 100% right but ultimately I I would prefer to pick like the perfect venue to put that in if I have control over that mm-hmm. now we're starting out which means we're trying out different venues but 
typically it comes to something with theater seating, yeah. you know, elevated so everyone can see a nice stage, and then we can just bring all that stuff in and make it work. Look, yeah. I could do a show in a bodega, you know, with sheets hanging on the walls, real seedy like that, but it, it wouldn't, it doesn't fit my thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I can yeah. perform anywhere, but like I said, I'd rather have the whole thing. Create that, that immersive entire experience. Yes. Exactly. It has to fit all of that stuff. So I would want it in a nice part of town, you know, valet parking, that, that, that type of stuff. Hit Factory was a place that we recorded Shamika's album at. Mm-hmm. And that is, Michael Jackson recorded in the same studio that we recorded in. And they had the same problem. They yep. had an air conditioner with the awesome vents, like the futuristic venti, something you'd see like in a Star Trek movie or something. And those things popped open, and we had to do like a couple takes because <laughs> the air conditioner vents opened up in the middle of a guitar solo. Uh, so uh, I'm used to that. Well, I fixed it now, and we're back to what we were doing. Good, good. Um, it's good. That's another thing about being older and have, have having practiced so much, and also having lived a life worth commenting on. You know, you've you've... Even though you aren't your character, you have gone and traveled the world and done amazing things, and so you can play it off as a character so much more. I use my uh, experience. I am so grateful for the experience to to travel like that. Now I'm booking. I'm going to be doing something next year uh, to go over to Netherlands twice and do a couple shows in London with Mike Vincent. And I'm not worried about. I mean, I've I got my passport. Get on the plane, go meet somebody, and you're all set. Uh, and I could only imagine if I was 20 years old, being scared to death that I'm going to hop on a plane and go to some foreign, weird place where I'm not going to be able to communicate with anybody, and some guy's going to stab me in the back. You know, I'd, I'd be so nervous being out of the country by myself. But having all that touring experience uh, and just understanding what it's like to have itineraries, lobby times, mm-hmm. be in the lobby at six. You know, you're traveling with other people. Uh, how customs work, how airports work, you know, all that stuff's all behind me now. So it's so much easier when gigs come in. I can just get right to the business and yeah. not have to worry about st- stressing out about whatever. Yeah. So the travel, oh, and another thing, all of the travel. I, we got in, drove from Colorado to Springfield to, to New York down to Florida in a week or something. So when I get a lecture or a, a convention or a, a convention or even a, uh, corporate gig or something that's like two states away I don't that's like that's like two CDs I put I, <laughs> I bring in my two favorite albums and listen to them and I'm there I don't worry about travel because that doesn't yeah. that doesn't bother me and well I you know who you are oh yeah that's that's I mean you you're comfortable with who you are and what you have to do to do what you want to do yeah that's um, great and yeah and, and just with getting older I've, I've noticed that in my 20s I would bend quite a bit and I'd then be at the gig thinking what the hell am I doing here what the hell? Why did I do a six-hour gig for two hundred bucks or something? <laughs> you know, what I think I'm like, what? How the hell did I get here? And it's just the other person on the phone was a better negotiator, and I didn't know what I was doing. You know? Yeah. And now, uh, when people call, uh, I get questions, uh, business stuff all the time. What do you charge? What you know? How do you handle this? I got a gig. What do I do? Those types of things. And. Um, it's they're in different places in their life so my advice doesn't always help for them yeah because i say to those people this is my rate this is what i charge and this is my shop yeah and then they may say well we need you to do this or that you know and you can work with people to some extent but it's my show and i need to be comfortable with it and that whole this is the way it is that assertiveness thing uh that i am very happy to be in that part of my life now it's like um 
I was younger. This is an odd story, but I remember being younger and having a problem with it at a car dealership. And I walked in, and this guy just mowed right over me, man. He was like, you could just sense the power. Mm-hmm. You know, had the title, had the desk. I was insignificant. And he's like, what do you need? You know, this. And all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. all my little things I had to talk about were all stuttery. And, and he just, I made a point, and he made seven points why that's not going to work. And yeah. he'd say, next. And I'd go, uh, uh, you know, and, and he just steamrolled right yeah. over and then I left like owing more money than when I went in yeah. you know what I mean like wait a minute how did this happen I went in there to get money back and I'm leaving and I'm okay with paying him 2500 more dollars that guy's good you know that's probably responsible for my character too <laughs> oh this reminds me of something else that's related to that character so in that relationship with that car dealer I just remember being that was a man of power yeah. you know and years later I'll read a book on like power talk or things sure. like that and I'll see ah oh, that's what that guy was doing you know yeah. he was deflecting you know I would have a point and then he'd say yeah but 2 plus 2 is 4 and I'd go and he'd just say something truthful and, and I can't argue with him because what you said is truthful but that doesn't seem to be what we're talking about politicians yeah. do it all the time they, yes. they just dodge and they, they talk about what they, what they want to talk about and then the moderator says, well, you never answer a question. And then they just talk about that again. Yeah. And it's, you can recognize that now. But when you're younger, you miss all that stuff. But uh, I saw all the power in him. And that's probably a little bit responsible for my character, too. But there's a, a music store I worked at um, where a guy would bring in a guitar to have it worked on or something. And the, the store owner would take the hardware out, the pickups out or something like that, and all the electronics. And he'd put in the pickups that the guy bought, and then he'd give him the guitar back and charge him the money for it. But he had all the leftover stuff. And like the next person to come in, he'd sell those pickups too. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. he'd have a cigarette in his mouth, and he'd be like, oh, these are great. You know, these are uh, uh, P105s. And they're, they're like, what the hell is he? And, and the kid would be like, oh, great. And then he'd leave. And, and Steve did the whole thing with a smile on his face. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I thought. I was yeah. just so oh, any uh, con things or scams they see on television, I always have respect. I feel bad for the people that lost their entire lives, of course, major things. But there's but I always have a little respect for the con guy that was smart enough to pull it off. Uh, that is one of those Enron movies I saw where they had like a a floor of banks, uh, like a, a floor of. Um, information hard drives okay that were all put up and they had they were like claiming to be some sort of swiss online bank they were all fake they weren't even they had lights on them, but they weren't even hard drives you know mm-hmm. so these companies gave them like hundreds of thousands of dollars to invest and it was there was nothing was real and yeah. they just took all the money and to me that's like you rented a floor mm-hmm. in a skyscraper and built fake hard drives yeah and people gave you billions of dollars I, you are fucking brilliant. Yeah. You are brilliant. Uh, so uh, those things, that's, again, in that I want to... Those people are breaking the rules of society. And not in a way that's like, it's clever. That's mm-hmm. what it is. It's the like cleverness you, is what I'm walking yeah, with. And I want exactly. my audience to feel that cleverness yeah. that I, I possess that. Like, mm-hmm. I could do something like that. Yeah. I want them to walk away from it. They that. see the glitch in the Matrix and they get to play with it. And, and that's... Uh, something about life is you learn to break all the rules you know even in school 
when I was younger, I learned how to get around the tests and you just, you constantly, you know, you get a new job and there's a bunch of work and then you start to figure out, oh, well, if I just do this, um, no, I'm not working, but I'm still getting paid. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's just part of my life. I always worked, like even at the castle, I forgot to do something. Jack came in and said, you didn't, you forgot to tell him to put the drinks on, your light was on the wrong setting, all this other stuff. And within two minutes, I said, all right, well my announcer is going to do the drink thing and he's going to turn the lights on so I don't have to you know I got my own thing to worry about Yeah. so yeah you just kind of take that responsibility and shift it around and get other people to do things for you and make your life a little bit easier so and again when you get older you start thinking along those lines Mm -hmm. make sure my path is nice and straight and everyone else needs to be doing what they're what they're doing but big answer for a short question (laughs) no that's that's good that's great well how do you feel we're at two hours. I feel fine. Whatever. If you've got more questions or about anything, feel free to ask. It doesn't have to be about card stuff. I want to keep it uh, exciting for anyone that possibly can still be listening. <laughs> We've covered all the character stuff that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. And um, I'm glad that we didn't get into anybody else's material because I don't want to be put on the spot <laughs> talking about those things. Um, my approach to creating magic... I use movies a lot. Yeah. You know, that's a big one there. Yeah. They are little movies. Yeah, you know, sure. Little three-minute movies. Uh, we covered all that stuff. We covered attire, cigars, scotch. We covered everything, unless there's anything else you'd like to know. I just, I, you know, what, what, you know, for people that are in New York State, what food recommendations, <laughs> you know, like, where, what, what can people go and do? What, what are some influences that you have book-wise and, you know, obviously Darwin, but I mean, what... How can people sort of build out their own lives that are resonating with what you're talking about? Um, the type of... Well, let's go with, with the books first. Sure. Um, well, notice that Mike Vincent has that suit thing, that classy suit mm-hmm. thing. I think he was a little bit responsible for that too. But also when I was growing up playing with bands... The first band that I played with that made a lot of money, they all dressed up for all their gigs. So they didn't have the tight jeans and the black t-shirts on. They all wore suits too. So remember those $60 suits that we were talking about earlier? Yeah. They wore $60 suits, but nonetheless, they were suits. <laughs> it's a place in Philadelphia you can buy like five suits for 100 bucks. Oh, my you know, God. All green with the green shoes. Oh, and the, God. The it gold, hurts me so bad. <laughs> the, gold, the gold thing. Like the, there's like a gold chain so you don't have to wear a tie. Oh, God. And... Uh, if you came within like a hundred feet of a candle, that would just catch on fire. <laughs> so, but the I think, sleeves are falling off by the yeah, end of the yeah. night. Um, and it's the kind of material that if you like shrug your shoulders, the whole—it's like wearing a piece of paper. The whole <laughs> thing goes up, and the whole, and if you did this, the whole suit would shift this way. So yeah, they didn't—they didn't hang right. <laughs> and and you know what? It's, it's, to get off topic for a second, when I go do buy suits, I am. I will cut them up. I don't care. When they put those suits and they say, this is a $1,400 yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, this is a piece of shit. Like, yeah. When I, sh- I can feel it's all like in the wrong, in the wrong places. And yeah. V isn't right. To get this, to take this. You know, I'm not that bad in that. I don't talk like that to, to them. But in my, that's my internal thinking. Yeah. What the fuck is this? So you can just sense right away when you put it on and you feel that fabric. And you yeah. say, oh, the one I got, the one I wore yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of those ones where I was just like, oh. And it, and it only takes a little bit to get it tailored to, like it's already almost right. Yep. Yes. And, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I do that nice V um, thing, and if it doesn't have that, I don't want it. And ticket pockets? Yep. Pockets got to be slanty, man. 
there's got to be that little shiny thing above the pockets. You yeah. know, so your pockets stick out a little bit. The lapel has to be just right, not too broad. Hey, I'm super, super picky when it comes to that. But when they sell me that stuff and hand me something, I am very... I don't care what it costs. Well, it comes back to you knowing what you want. Yeah, but when they tell me it's good, and I say, no, it's not. This it's looks not. like I would be wearing this to a PTA meeting or something. Yeah. This, what, you could, this, is, this is not blue. This is like... What's another good one? What's that movie? Or... Uh, Tom Hiddleston was just in it. Night Manager. Night Manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The blue suit that he's got in that. Yeah. There's something about that color blue that is like that. Yeah. That blue. Not yep. this. This is like baby blue. I'm selling a car. Yeah. I want that blue suit. Mm-hmm. And boy, that thing was. Oh, yeah. He's got really great. Nice. He's, he's a suiting god. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I follow his stylist on Instagram. I love his Well, then you need like to forward it. that to me because that stuff, I, I do it. that all the time. I send my. Uh, there's a. LA uh, photographer Mike Majors his name is and he's going to shoot me just for I, he loves my card magic like, I, I've never met him before in my life mm-hmm. but some of my promo shots you've seen uh, some of my uh, I'm sure you've seen some of the promotional stuff I do yeah. with my we, we don't hold back that warehouse shoot yeah. that was uh, an 8 hour shoot to get 10 shots yeah. we go for like all the way we had a crew of like 20 people because I don't want my pictures looking like other people's pictures yeah. Uh, Pete, what's his name? Who works with Illusion? Pete McKinnon. Yeah, he, that's kind of the inspiration. Like, yeah. why can't I have stuff like this? And without going to Canada, I pull the best people out of my area and say, "Look at this. Let's make. Let's do this better." So we got this huge warehouse and did all this stuff. So uh, that's only up available in Albany, though. And there's three or four phenomenal photographers out there. So I'm going to shoot with each one of them, so I get the best that this person has to offer. Then this person. Then this person. Yeah. So that all my stuff can look different. So for each book, I'll probably do a big, huge shoot. But coming out here, I met this guy on Facebook. Never met him. It was like a mutual connection through one of those photographers. And he just loves the card magic stuff, my snarky political posts he likes, and just silly <laughs> dog stuff. You know, like the dumb crap that I put on Facebook all the time about cats and dogs and stuff. It's, I mean, it's hilarious. But anyway, so we developed this little connection. And I wrote to him and said, I'm going to come out here. And he's like, I'll shoot you, man. Let's do it. So, like, next week I'm going to be doing some rooftop thing or some urban environment alleyway thing with... I, I can't imagine this what this guy's going to do. His work is phenomenal. That's awesome. So, yeah, I'm, so I'm glad I got the right suits for it, too. But that's that branding thing. i got to be separate from everybody in that sense. And just, yeah, yeah. I want to be over the top. It's a Bond movie. It's all that experience, yeah. Yeah, yeah. on the top. All right, so back to the um, what you said about uh, books and such. Um, Mike Vincent... I like his material because he's so fucking classy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he really is big on connecting with the audience. And he's like a therapist when you sit down with him. You know, you ever, I don't know if you ever sat with Mike. I've never, no. Oh, man. He's like, so when you did Triumph, how did it make you feel inside? You know, and you're like, well, that's deep. And he's like, how did it make your audience feel inside? What do you think that, you know, he's all about, talk about it. Experience. He really yeah. wants to get in your soul when you talk about connecting with other people. Mm-hmm. You definitely need to sit with him because your mind's going to be blown how deeply this guy thinks about connecting with an audience and sharing your craft. Mm-hmm. Put that on your to-do list. Trust me. It will, it's a game changer. Um, Jack Carpenter. Jack is, I don't know how, in. it seems like in a day he creates the same amount of material I create in five years. And it's all good shit. It's that. all... Like, yeah. good. Like, that's a, an amazing idea. And then the next day, he's probably on new stuff and forgot about half the stuff that he mm-hmm. did. 
So Jack is another big one. The classic Mike Skinner stuff. Mm-hmm. Talk about confidence. The Johnny Carson clips. Oh yeah. You know he's doing moves, but his what I like from him is his um, how casual his body language can be. You know he's sitting like this, and then he's holding out. Tony Giorgio. Mm-hmm. You've seen his stuff. Yeah. How he does his mach- all those moves, and he's just sitting there like this, and it's yeah. it, like the body language on him is I want that so bad. Where's the suit? Um, Darwin, of course, but got to be my Carson favorite. was a big influence for me. Just him. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh well, of course. Yeah. Uh, the the everything about everything him. about yeah, Carson. and it's that classic comedy again. Yep. And that's something I we didn't get to talk about, but uh, I wanted to mention some of those comedy things we talked about. Well, let's talk about the smart comedians. Yeah. Uh, that keep it cl- not that clean. I, I appreciate dark and and fucked up and and nasty and crude and everything. I, yeah. re- I love that also. But sure. there's something about the smart one because it takes a little bit more work. It's that cleverness. It comes all the way. It goes all for me. It goes all the way back to like Laurel and Hardy, mm-hmm. Marx Brothers. Mm-hmm. That is brilliant. Uh, Lucille Ball. That's brilliant comedy. Mm-hmm. That does not matter if it's 150 years from now, 3,000 years from now. That will still be funny, and because of the situation they put themselves in, uh, those Lucille skits. Those are funny. Uh, where the, the conveyor belt keeps, you know that that, yeah. and you can. It's timeless. You yes yes, you can build those find ways to to put moments like that in your trick. So you've got your premise, your magic's happening, your technique's happening, your story's happening, but you can end up in a situation where you've talked the spectator into helping you out with something. You demonstrate that it's easy to do, and then it just keeps getting a little bit more overwhelming for the spectator, and that's where all that humor comes in, and it doesn't get in the way of the magic that you're trying to do. Um, another example for timeless humor is blaming your spectator for something or having something happen that's their fault that they didn't imagine. You give them some priceless thing. Like you come out and say, this is my most prized possession that I wanted to show you. Here, hold this for one second. And it just falls. Well, it's you the know, classic breakaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, yeah. you turn away to get something and it just crumbles in their hands. And then you go like, what? You know, I just gave this to you. To, you know, those are classic Mm-hmm. Things that you can that you can pull from that are completely clean that it they'll never get old. So those jokes, I, I love uh, dipping into those um, things to think about. That's entertaining. Mm-hmm. How can I steal that and borrow from it or till build on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. So um, that's uh, when we talk about these different influences. Not just card magic. It's it's watching some of those old uh, timeless comedy skits that are just. Hilarious. It doesn't matter. Abbott McStow. Mm-hmm. It The change raise routine. Give you two tens for a five. Oh, yeah. Those yeah. types of routines. Um, very, very funny stuff. And I know that that would play today because of the character, because of the con man thing, the quick wit, the cleverness. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all things that are extremely appealing to me. So that's how I pick my material when I study, when I buy my books and buy my material. I, I want... There to be some good content there that I can sift through, and some people's books or downloads or things like that. I, I don't um, I don't get the same. I get a method. Mm-hmm. That's it. Sure. I get a little clever method, a little kind of a cool thing that's usually wrapped up in a bunch of. It's not practical. I, I see like all these different little problems with it. So that's mm-hmm. why I tend to look even outside of magic completely. Sure. Movies and comedians and things like that, and say Hannibal. It's a yep. Great example. I'm watching Hannibal, and I create. A premise based on what they used yeah. so that's where I, and I, because that will work that premise is already done for me yeah I just need to find what do, what do I do and say with the cards now yeah. versus here's a card thing that you have to go find the premise mm-hmm. that's like impossible yeah you know now you have it's like 
making a movie and saying, all right, the first thing we're going to do is blow this up and blow this up. Now let's get some actors. Now, what should, what should the movie be about? <laughs> Here's your actors I've already picked out for you. This, this is going to happen first, and then we're going to blow that Our up. Our actors after. are demolition experts, and one of them's wife is leaving it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so now make a story out of that. I yeah. mean, that is fucked up. Yeah. So you, um, you, it's, it's really hard to, to write backwards like that. Yeah. And when you come up with that premise or that little moment or funny things like that, um, go with it. And that's when I was listening to Blake's uh, podcast. Very similar. Very similar stuff. I have just notebooks filled with little moments that, that are nothing more than it would be funny if the spectator did this. Yeah. And um, for creativity, just looking back through it, because we keep changing. I'm a different person. Every, I think it's five years. For me, yeah. I've mapped it out. Every five years, I become a different person, completely mm-hmm. different. We talked about negotiating and being more this is this, this is yeah. how my life is. Uh, when I was 20, I wanted to tour the world playing music. When I was 25, I was going to be a professional guitar teacher with an online business and all that stuff. 30, I'm a professional magician. 35, still professional magician. But even, but strong, but now... Now you have much, a point of view. Now I'm the, the highway, yeah. I've yeah. Got, like uh, 30, I was just starting to release, thinking about writing a book. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I'm, book two is about to come out. So this is, I, I don't want to be a, a teacher anymore or tour or anything like that. That's all yeah. done. So I'm on a very clear uh, road right now. But... Um, well, that also came about you, again, coming back to you knowing who you are. and You know, just being in a place where you're comfortable with who you are and what you do and what you want. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. I don't know. But it, like I said, every five years, that that just kind of evolves a little bit and changes. So I'm kind of curious to see what's going to, you know, what's coming. That's the beauty of life there. You never know what's what's going to be coming at you. But I'm excited. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Kind of pushing forty. I'm thirty-seven. Wow. Yeah, I, I know I look like I'm twenty-eight, but um, <laughs> uh, the tattoos help. <laughs> that and you know you got to keep the keep the hair. That's right. The hair trimmed and, and good to go and and uh, staying in shape. That's the other one too. Stay yeah. Staying in shape, shape your body. You only got one body, so get it going there. But what you said about those immersive experiences—that's what I try to do. We talked about fitness the other day. It's not good enough just to. To just try it out, I had to go like yeah all the way yeah. But um, that's that's my mom talking right now. You only got one body, so to find out how I'm going to change every five years, you might as well take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do a good job. She's right. And you know what? Here's another thing about life. Your parents, in my case, just my mom, said stuff to me for 20 years, and I didn't believe any of it. Yeah. And man, let me tell you what, <laughs> they're all right. Every single thing that she ever said panned out to be 100% true. Like what? What are some examples? Uh, my house. When I walk in my house, this is what I want. See how nice and clean this is? Yep. Clutter. Hate clutter. I want my morning routine. You know, I used to think like, I want to do whatever I want. I want to do the same thing every day. You know, I love getting up, making my breakfast, running, having my coffee, sitting down to my notes, practicing the certain way. Uh, and, and two hours of the door shut, do not come in regimenting my practice I do this all organized yeah back then I didn't I when I was younger I practiced on whatever I wanted when I and then I'd take months off and play video games and she's like those video games rot your brain <laughs> now it's like I don't have time to do that stuff I have yeah. business to do uh, keeping a house uh, real clean that feng shui I like you know when I come yeah. in and I that means there's no distractions mm-hmm. I can do what I need to do and there's yeah. something about having a big empty clean house 
where no one's there and I've got my decks and I've got my routines and I can just be in the zone and practice. Yep. And if you've got shit on your table, you can't create that same mood because there's paper, you know, open envelopes of bills you have to pay, dishes in the same, you know, all that. It's distractions. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Clean house. Uh, not wearing all the suits and stuff like that. Never thought I would be a guy that would be constantly in suits. A uniform. And not only that, when you're out of the house, you can still buy nice t-shirts. Yes, you know. Can. Um, so having clothes, and my second girlfriend was good for that. She was like, why don't you shop here instead? Because like, those jeans are so fucking expensive. Why do I want a $150 pair of jeans? And she's like, just just try it. And I'm like, such a waste of money. And I put them on and I'm like, let's get one in every color. These are great. <laughs> So yeah, and again too, I'm not in my suit, but I can still feel that yeah. that power. And you then put together. yeah, and then you have to change them. Mm-hmm. You know, so you wear them for a couple of months, and then then they they lose that magical thing, and then you go buy some new ones, and and again you put them on, and you go, they feel fucking great in these. So you'll feel better. Um, diet. So things like food. I used to, I was in a period in my life where I would uh, teach all day. I teach. I would teach guitar uh, lessons. And playing bands, that's how I made my career in my early 20s, right after I got off the road. Yeah. After teaching, I would go get to the grocery store and I would buy like a bag of pretzels and a bag of Doritos and a Dr. Pepper. Call at, at a particular moment on the way home, I would know if I call now, the pizza will be there by the time I arrive. You know, problem solving. And then I would pick <laughs> up a half gallon of vanilla or uh, like chocolate peanut butter cup ice cream and I would play video games from 8.30 until like 7 in the morning and just eat junk. Did that for like five years or something like that. Yeah. I was 189 pounds. Mm-hmm. That's a big boy. Yeah. Mom said, you can't eat like that. You'll get sick. Sure enough, I ended up in the hospital. I had a bowel perforation. I had a scar like this big. I eat My diet almost killed me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So um, that was another big turning point in my life, that, that operation. Uh, to, to have your doctor say you're, you're almost died. Yeah. Yeah. And I was kind of like, okay. And he said, you need to eat this food. I have Crohn's. And he said, you need to eat this food or you're going to be dead. <laughs> and I was like, steamed broccoli. Love it. <laughs> and once you start putting the right fuel in your body, it does different. Because it's a machine. It is. And you can't, and that's a big turning point for me too. As much as ice cream tastes good, it's fighting every. It's, it's going the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So you feel like shit. You're tired. It, everything's going the wrong way, and your body is your vehicle. And when you put the right stuff in it, it does what you want it to do. And the giant realization that I don't have to work out 24 hours a day to be shredded. Mm-hmm. When I was shredded, like fitness shredded. Oh, we're gonna do this. Good, it's a podcast. <laughs> yeah, please pull it up. Let me see. It's from diet. Yeah, it's diet. It's not exercise. No, it's like 85 to 90% the food that you're putting in your body and don't be an idiot. You hit those macronutrients just right consistently. Oh, shit. Yeah, you were shredded. Completely shredded. Yeah. I mean, that's just food. Yeah. That's just clean food. So all that was was chicken, baked chicken and broccoli for like break- or for lunch and dinner. And breakfast is like cottage cheese. Water all day. That's it. Now, not only the side effects were looking amazing. Yeah. I kept my second girlfriend very happy. Um, but 
I felt great. I'd go home and practice for, I just motivated to be, to make all the phone calls I needed to make. There was yeah. no sluggish thing. I was stronger. I was more fit. Clothes look like you feel more confident. You feel like a billion times more confident. And um, everything was just great. Everything was great. So, and then when I look back to my childhood, my mom telling me, you can't eat junk. You got to eat this. And then the, the Crohn's that I had was manageable. Yeah. Because I wasn't putting food in my body that was inflammatory and messing everything up constantly. Yeah. The battle in my body was making everything so sluggish. So um, I, they prescribed me like 16 pills a day to beat this Crohn's, right? Mm -hmm. Two months of eating clean, I lost like 30 pounds right away and I didn't have to take the medicine. The medicine costs like 2,500 bucks too. Yeah. Like every other month or so. I mean, I can't afford that. Yeah. So just through clean diet, I was able to say fuck you to the to the medical industry and I've been fine for 15 years now. Yeah, wow. So, and the whole, uh, the realization that it's a lifestyle change. Mm -hmm. You, It's not a diet where you yeah. clean your food up a little bit and then cheat. It's, this is what my body, this is the fuel. And now I'm set. So you can, keep, if you if you realize that, you can keep it off. It's not a challenge to keep it off. Yeah, yeah. Because I actually enjoy eating the food that I eat. Yeah. Um, this trip's been a little bit of a struggle because yeah. the food is pretty good. But yeah. um, you once you understand the changes, mm -hmm. you you know that, all right, I'm going to be away for a couple of weeks, but when I come back, we'll clean it up. Yeah. So jeans still fit. Yeah. And you also know that you can, you can I, I'm using air quotes, indulge when you do go to a nice restaurant and they do have this maybe rich dish but you know it's, it's not all the time everybody raves and, and yeah exactly it's, it's not all the, and that's that's what i learned too is that it's okay you go to your friend's house and you have dinner with them and you eat bread and all your fun stuff i mean it doesn't do anything your, no. your metabolism changes your body's fine yeah but it's when it starts slipping and it happened to me i got incredibly ripped there like i couldn't I, i'd look at myself and it was like it looked like a body a head superimposed i'd look at myself in the mirror and go this doesn't look like me it's just a joke or something this yeah. is incredible and then you start slipping, and then you slip a little more because because you, you go, laugh. Well, I look like this. I yeah, can, you, you, know. you laugh at yourself. Like I had a dozen donuts this morning, <laughs> completely shredded. And then um, over six months to a year, you kind of lost a little bit, and then it kept kind of going. And um, maybe four years, at four or five years after that picture, I gained another like fifteen pounds back or something like that, and I was okay with my my routine. Mm -hmm. But then um, after meeting Lauren this past summer, meeting Lauren again. On uh, this past summer, I just took it all right. I just flicked the switch and went right back to eating pure and running again and having fun. Runyon Canyon right up the street. That's here. great. Oh, every day. That's like uh, a Spartan race waiting to happen every yeah. day. Yeah, I'm sprinting up the hill and sprinting back down. That is one hell of a trip. So I'm very grateful to be uh, at a place that has that available. Yeah. Yeah, to be yeah. on the road, to be out and have something like that around is, is, is really cool. I don't like hotel gyms and stuff like that. Well, you're in a place to, to be fit. LA's certainly. There are some people it. that uh, definitely got me beaten. There's, there's like got to be fitness models or something that are on that thing. These people were completely shredded. Oh, yeah. And women in like full makeup running. Yeah. What is that? I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's I like, don't understand that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw it like a couple times now from, on different girls. They're, they're completely jewelry. I, and I think that's the LA thing. Yeah, that's the. I don't understand it. I'm a Louisiana boy. I uh, couldn't imagine going I, out. Yeah, I don't mind getting sweaty and gritty, but I'm not going to do my hair first. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to get I'm gonna, the. I'm going to throw a baseball cap on. <laughs> yeah. Let me get this just right in case I get noticed today. Yeah, but um, great experience. Took a bunch of. I felt like a tourist. I hate that. 
I because I've traveled so much. But then when I get up there, I'm like, send, send these home to my girl so yeah. she can see what it's all about. But um, having people look at you go like, oh, they'll get this tourist. But at least it's something nice. I notice when I travel sometimes the touristy thing. People are taking pictures of like mailboxes and lamp posts and shit. Like it's yeah. a fucking lamp post. What are you taking a picture of, lady? Yeah. Like a New York City. Take a picture of a New York City cab, but the views up here are pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, and from touring, I never got a chance to see any place. Yeah, you go in, yeah. play the club. Like I played, I played LA five six times. Hollywood mm-hmm. Bowl, the Convention Center, the um, uh, a handful of other places. Oh, House of Blues on Sunset Strip. But we would show up go at in, four play. sound check at five yeah. go eat about the catered food and it's the same catering from the night before so yeah. you don't even get to experience the city you're eating the catered company that's following you around um, and then do the gig from eight to twelve go to bed and wake up at three in the morning because you have to fly to Seattle yeah that's it so I've been to LA five times I've never seen it so to be at the castle and be here for the, uh, th- I'm going to be here for like three and a half weeks I've got some other the Murphy's at the table thing and uh, four of the lectures while I'm out here but to be in one spot I get to actually see everything and enjoy it and breathe it in huge difference yeah and what we were talking about with career I didn't get that with music and now it's making more sense to me because it's not as bad with the hustle mm-hmm. if I can be someplace for three weeks and do some dates and then come back home that's, yeah. that's way better than just you know, one night after night. Banging it out. Yeah. Being in charge of my own career now and doing the show I was talking about with Sean Doolin and making these shows. We want to do like an eight-week run or something somewhere. Yeah. Same venue. Like sleep in my own bed and make our own schedule. Say, yeah. this is how much I want to work and let's do that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not about playing 250-some gigs a year. That, yeah. That ain't going to happen. But um, that's that. Yeah. Do you feel good? I feel great. I want to ask... I. I, could, I consider this the you know kind of the question that I finish on, but I haven't done it the last ten episodes or something. But, but when was the last either the last time that you got really badly fooled, or the hardest time you've ever been really badly fooled? Um, the answer is I have to kind of combine two two different moments because they were really big for me. But ask your question one more time. Was it a two-parter question, or was it just one? It was either or. Like, either the hardest time you've ever been fooled, or the most recent time right. you've been fooled. Um, really hard. I, um, it was a trick that Darwin showed me, and it's, pub- it's been published now, so we can talk about it. It's in his book, um, his last book, Lessons in Mastery, Lessons in Card Mastery, which I was honored to be a part of in making the book as an editor and I had a couple contributions in the book but like Darwin on the same way we rehearse our material I will have a trick that I've been doing for five years on my own only to myself and then not show anybody and then release it and so I can get all the kinks out and improve and build to this this level of purity and then and then release it I don't ever want to put material out there that um, I just have an audience tested it enough so I had been with Darwin for, I met with, I, as my lessons, you know, after that phone call, we started, uh, I would take lessons and I'd go down there and every two, three months or something and spend mm-hmm. two or three days down there uh, and do that four, five, six times a year. So pretty consistent lessons every couple months. And I did that for, I'm still doing that, 
still meet with him a couple times a year. Uh, so this is about six, seven, eight, eight years even, probably more than that. Eight years of heavy technique. Mm-hmm. I mean, now I'm not a 15-year-old kid anymore that watched five or six DVDs. I now know this person's moves individually. Like, I know his hands. I know all the breaks. Everything that this man has shown me, I now do similar to him or have my own spin on it, but I can recognize card magic. And I would even go as far to say I am now in a professional environment separating myself from a lot of other card men. Yeah. This motherfucker. (laughs) This bitch. (laughs) This motherfucker says, all my life I've been trying to achieve complete control with a deck of cards so we're going to try something now i'm going to take about half the deck face up half the deck face down so i'm watching this guy shuffle these cards together and there's no and this is the kind of the conviction that i go for a little bit deep thing for me when i create my uh, card magic is audience conviction Mm -hmm. i'm always pushing the bar Everyone that's been doing magic for the last 50 fucking years have made the bar here. I'm putting it here. My triumph, their, their faces in the back. I mean, nothing sells faces in the backs like... It's not the one you saw the other day. Okay. But it's similar to that, where you can see faces in the backs. And the one I came just in, or just released, you, the cards are spread on the table. They're all faces in the backs, period. It's like uh, the Foolest guy. Was his name Costa? Costa Kim. Yeah, yeah. The word they start and, yeah. and shuffle. I can never pronounce his name. Um that level of conviction why not really mix them together if you're going to say that you're going to do it so in some of my other routines like Art of War the one mm-hmm. you saw the other day when I spread the cards there yeah. are highs and lows yeah it's a way to prove it look at all the ones you got look at all the ones I got two seconds later I got them you know yeah so that level of conviction why not just show them the truth so Darwin starts mixing this deck and I'm looking right at the fucking deck I'm still pissed about this <laughs> this is this is four or five years ago and it's still getting me turned so halfway through this huge mix then he starts doing like the Leonard Green sloppy shit and it's like cards are falling out and I'm like okay got it you know yeah. then he says pick a card and he, he shows me how to do it and while he's showing me how to pick this card the cards are getting mixed again yeah. and I'm starting to think like the method guy in me says there's gotta be like a call coming up or something Yeah. some sort of separation some dealing something so he turns around I pick a card out and do what he says. And he turns back around and he says, you know, did you do it? I didn't even notice. I'm thinking, there's no fucking way. I mean, you weren't even fucking looking. So I could have turned any fucking card over. So it's already hurting pretty bad. <laughs> and then he takes the cards and gives him a couple more shuffles. And there's no turning. There's no nothing. Oh, actually, some of the cards get turned this way. and So now it's like a new version of faces and backs. Yeah. And I'm already just not too pleased with how this is, <laughs> how this is going. And then he says, um, so at this point, Yada, the cards have been so mixed, mixed. there's no way I could know anything or whatever. But if I just riffle like this, and then he spreads a deck, and my fucking card is face up in the middle of the deck. Now, do you, are you familiar with the routine? Not his, no. Okay. So he spreads the cards, and the card, and I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. How is that possible? Because yeah. I just watched you fucking do everything, and I didn't see any fucking moves. How, what are you doing to me? And then, this is where it happens. He says... But like I said in the beginning, my concern, my main goal in life, and my internal monologue now Uh, is, why the fuck are you still fucking talking? Because my mind is already fucking blown, and I don't like that you're still talking. And to compare it to movies, it's like when something mind-blowing happens in the movie and you think it's over. Like the whole big thing happens, but you're like, 
there's still 45 minutes left. Yeah. Or in Hannibal, when you know that something huge happened, but there, you still got like 20 minutes. Yeah. So why are we still... Why you know, are we still that, here? Yeah, why are yeah. we still here? Yeah, why would the camera be in the car at this point? Yeah. This shouldn't, you know, yeah, yeah. this shouldn't be, the camera shouldn't be here now. This has nothing to do with the story. So, so Darwin's talking and I'm like, you motherfucker, I don't know where you're going, but if it's better than that, it's going to be good. And uh, he says, my main goal was to control all the cards. And then he spread all the hearts out. Now, I'm telling you, they're in order. I, the deck was completely fucking destroyed. Suits and faces and backs through the whole thing. And then he spreads all the fucking clubs out. And I stand up, and this is from a teacher-mentor standpoint. We crossed the line on this one because mm-hmm. I never got up before and said, fuck you. I'm talking to my mentor, you know? Yeah. Fuck you. I don't want to say it. Fuck you. And he's like, you're not going to let me finish? You know, that Bill, <laughs> that Bill Maher yeah, uh, cynic- yeah. cynical thing? What? You're not going to let me finish the trick? And so he was just rubbing it in. Yeah. And all the clubs are together, all the spades together, and the only one missing is the one that you selected. Right, The nine was right where it was supposed to be, too. And I had I was served so bad on that one that just uh, really really killed me. And then of course um, he um, he made me wait a while to figure it out, which I like that from yeah. a creative standpoint. Don't just give me the answer; let me suffer with it for a little while. And there was something else, and it doesn't compare to that story really, but it's just how funny Darwin is, um, and that teacher mentor or student-mentor relationship. Mm-hmm. There's a trick that... Uh, I won't get into the, the, the trick, the mechanics of it or anything, even the title of it, but there's a trick, and what's supposed to happen in the trick is the performer at the end, after all of this shuffling, the performer cuts a section of the deck over. But it's a known number. That's why the performer has to do it. Yeah. But Darwin is showing this trick to Andrew it's a get together we had it was Darwin me Andrew Wimhurst and Tony Cabral all sitting at one table talking mm-hmm. cards it was a really great weekend and I know I'm familiar with the trick and we get to the end of the trick and Darwin asks Tony to cut the cards and I remember thinking like but that can't work because it's it could, Tony can cut anywhere he wants and then I could sense how maybe he could fix it afterwards and, and, and fix the, the mm-hmm. cut by cutting afterwards, but he has Tony to cut the cards a second time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the fuck? Because now it's not that that does not have that's not how the cookbook goes. Yeah, you know. So I'm thinking to myself, well, now he's not gonna know. He's not gonna be able to do the trick now because it was an unknown number. He could have cut anywhere in the deck. And Darwin finishes the trick and it worked. And I was like, everybody left. And afterwards, I told him, I said, hey, you know, what was the the thing that you did there because that wouldn't have worked and he goes oh yeah yeah uh, well we're out of time today so I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you next time you come down yeah. and that's like two months so I remember thinking that's cool then I brought that home with me and yeah. I worked on that day and night I, and I was obsessive and it didn't fucking matter there was no way that he could have done that and I remember thinking cutting one or cutting off this completely fucks everything up so he couldn't have known and he, it just didn't add up it didn't make any sense so the only thing I came up with was it was one of those stupid things where it just happened to be the right one. Like I didn't see the out. Yeah. Like the, so Tony happened to do something just right and he didn't have to do the out. Yeah. So sure enough, it was a different time we were down there and he's doing the trick again and, and it was cut again and he did it a second time. And that proves that it's not, it's, um, it's not, uh, it wasn't a one-off thing that happened because I had cut in a different spot on the next time and it still worked. So he didn't get lucky. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that one, at the end of that 
performance. It was a show that I did with uh, Mike Vincent, me and Darwin, where he did the same trick. And since it wasn't a lesson format, he, he didn't have time to explain it. So I called him like a couple days after and I said, oh, we didn't go over that thing you said. And he goes, oh yeah, I forgot. We just didn't have time. So on your next time down, that's fine. Two more months of, of me trying to figure this shit out. And I had just finally given up. Came down the next time and we did the whole big, we had our big two day hang. And, and at the end of the lesson, I said, oh, remember that thing that uh, Tony cut? You have that weird cut there. And, and he goes, oh, you know, we just ran out of time one more time. I'm not doing this intentionally. I'll, I just don't have time to go over the whole routine with you. So we'll do it next time. He did that like two more times, <laughs> all right? And it was well over a year. It was well over a year. And bottom line, I missed, I was fooled by, I hate to admit this, and I hope everyone has stopped listening by now. I was fooled by a sight count. That's it. So three, three, two, two. See this? Yeah. Three, three, two, two, three, three, two, two. Now that's not related to the cut, but it's related to the method. So yeah. the cut and that sight count worked together to fool me. Yeah. And I could only see the cut. And by only seeing the cut, was, wasn't able to put two and two together. And when he showed me that, I just was like, first of all, how did you make me wait a year and change for that? And then he admitted I made you wait. Like he was, yeah. he was no, lying he the whole fucking time. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, why would you do that to me? <laughs> and then I realized that I had created so many amazing things that's the beauty of having a mentor that knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. He didn't. He did that, and I was able to create notebooks of material based on that and tricks that came out of that and ideas and concepts and things. So my creative juices were really flowing by not knowing that. And just his personal satisfaction of lying to me for over a year, I said that. <laughs> but the feeling for me to say, how could I have been fooled by something so stupid like that? But when yeah. you combine those two very simple ideas... It is genius mm -hmm. idea. And those are the things that get me off more than the most complicated side angle jog palm bullshit thing. Fuck that stuff. If you can take a simple thing that's been out there for a million years and just add some other little simple thing to it and it creates, it's like chemistry. These two seemingly ordinary things come together and when combined with this premise, mm -hmm. it's a miracle, you know, you've created a miracle. Yeah. Those are my favorite kind of tricks where I don't really do anything. Mm -hmm. I, Art of War, the trick you saw. I yeah. deal through the cards. Yeah. I, I deal. Yeah. And the audience is, is, is blown away by how this is possible. So, and I'm just combining some simple, uh, there's, there's, there's like two moves in that trick. Yeah. And that's the kind of material I like to create. Uh, but also I can create the heavier stuff sure, too, but I, I enjoy performing things that are really like, uh, uh, out of this world is a great example. I, mm -hmm. You know, you just have, if you can pull cards out of a fan, you can do the trick. So, um, that, those too much. That cut, I suffered with that fucking cut <laughs> for a year because it didn't make any sense to me how he could let someone else cut the cards and he could know the contents of that packet. Yeah, that fucking pissed me off. <laughs> so that was the hard. That was probably the hardest one. Uh, and then um, the triumph. The triumph was yeah. the, was because because I, I was the fir I was one of the first people to see it and to know that much about cards and just be fooled by it. I know all the, I, I can do the I could do the trick right after I knew all the moves, but to be fooled that bad, I just didn't see where it was going the whole time. Yeah, um, and that's uh, those are my inspirations behind the material I'm creating now. Really, get that um, that audience conviction. So mm -hmm. again, I was a layman. Yeah, my conviction that the deck was mixed was a hundred percent 
no doubt. And that's hard to get with magicians. Yeah. But when I work with laymen, I want that conviction to be 100%. That emotional thing that makes them gasp. Um, are you going to have a chance to come to the castle again to see another set? Yeah, I think so. Okay, because uh, let me know when you're in the audience because I'll do this other trick called uh, Lucky Charms where uh, the audience... I'm not going to give it away. It's sure. the, you'll see where it's going right yeah. away. But the number of convincers, the number of proof, the number of times I prove something subtly mm-hmm. is just so much that when I get to the end, they just can, can't believe that, that the reality is, is what it is. You know? And, and that's, uh, that's what I strive. It's a personal satisfaction for me mm-hmm. to, to put all that out there without, and, and showing something without having to spell it out. Yeah. That's what I said about Dexter. Yeah, yeah. I fucking hate that show. <laughs> It, it, just because it's so it's being told to me you know it's in their heads the whole time it's being fucking told to me it. Yeah. and when you bring in the third person that's new that's new to the thing person A has to explain to person, the new person so that the fucking plot is being fucking fed to me like hey what's gonna happen when that bomb gets to the other place well let me tell you Bill you know <laughs> And then it, you, you just feel like it, it's being force-fed to you when you don't get to think. It's all being just said, and I, I hate those situations. Um, so it's very gratifying to create card tricks or magic that I'm putting all those little subtle things out there, and yeah. I'm not saying any of it. Yeah. You are drawing. Now, it's much more convincing if you make those connections yourself because I had nothing to do with that. I'm just talking. and You can see and make these things for yourself. And the more that they go, boy, that conviction is is right there. Mm-hmm. And then when you rip that, show them the truth, boy, it blows up in their mind really bad. Oh yeah. And that's what I that's that's why I do what I do. Thank Very you good. so much. Hey, this was an absolute pleasure. I appreciate it. Well, of course, this is great. I can't wait to see you at the castle again.